does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Welcome into the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison, Lara Overton in studio with us behind the ones and twos, perhaps. There we go. I, no, you got us now? No. No. I'm still not hearing it. What am I doing here? We'll figure we'll figure that out here in just a second <laughs> with the with the headset over here. But good to I have you. I should have gotten the on the headset more than thirty seconds before getting on. The good news is while we get that squared away, is that you and I both talk loud enough to where we could throw the headsets aside this segment. We'll need it more for there we when go. we have guests in the Thank program. Thank you so much, my Which friend. Eddie of. getting me right. Absolutely. That, that's true. That's true. There the joke is always that you know, even if Matt Taylor didn't have my microphone up on sidelines, <laughs> he could probably still hear me from the field all the way up to the the press box. Is I that be because able... of your stage presence or Matt's hearing? Which, which one is that? I think I think it is uh, the uh, the volume in which I often speak, whether I'm on air or not. So yeah, yeah. Well, it's great to have you back in here. Uh, it's so great to be back in here. This is a fun like holiday week. So the offices at the Colts are closed for the week. They always do that in observance of Independence Day and the allow everyone to have the week off. So it's good to get like back in the saddle and do some other things. I also hadn't worked in six days because we did a little vacation, went on a little trip. So I was like, I feel like I need to do something productive. So this is a really good way for me to, sure. you know, hang out with you guys for three hours and play radio. Without revealing too much of the vacation as the seasoned veteran, you and I were talking before we went on the air today about this is the dead week for a lot of people whose lives revolve around the NFL and most yes. people are strategically planning their vacations around this. So I'm always thrilled as Zeddy to have you here in the studio, <laughs> but how come there wasn't an extended vacation for Lara Overton and you took it a week early? I know. Well, we did. So we took a few days to go up to Wisconsin with some wonderful friends of ours who hosted us at their cabin in the Minocqua area, for those who are kind of familiar with that. And then we came back on Wednesday, so drove back yesterday because these are family-owned cabins, and they rotate the cabins across the different members of the family have it for you know five or six days at a time. So it was time for the next members of the family. Sure to come on in and then also it allowed my husband to get back in the office do a couple days of work we were also ready to see our dog like you know we miss him we've got one more trip coming up sure. before training camp so we, we've been all over we've kind of worked in a lot of good trips so far this summer um so it was just kind of we were ready to be back home and i was glad to have an excuse to you know come in and work for a few hours hang out with you guys and try to get back in the sure. saddle before we go to the office on monday like that's really hard if you're off for like 10 days and then you go hit the ground running on like a monday morning right we like to consider ourselves a refresher at times where you know you if you're looking to, to just you jump back in effervescent that's, you that's, guys that's, are that's what we try to have here <laughs> when you take time off yeah. is it full dark or is that's it leave good, the phone nearby just a, in case we get some breaking news that's a really good question so by nature of where we were we were up in up in the north woods wisconsin and cell service was particularly spotty we did have wi-fi so i would get on the wi-fi i would check things kind of intermittently but i really tried to do a better job of just 
leaving my phone in there, knowing that everyone was off. That It does kind of allow you to turn your brain off a little bit where you know you're not getting a random email or this or that, sure. you know, and it's, I mean, unless something Colts-wise like really happened with like a Jonathan Taylor contract or something yeah. along those lines, it's kind of that period where you're, I don't want to say you're ever safe from something happening, <laughs> sure. but for the most part, you're a little bit insulated where this is probably kind of a time where you can kick back and relax a little bit, but we do stay connected. I just fired off a couple of work texts earlier today because there are some things we're keeping up on, uh, but for the most part, I tried to be cognizant of checking out because there aren't very many times over the course of the year that you are able to do that. And I am one who I need to be better about it. Like I need to have like an off time. I need to set the notification. I've just now learned about like turning off your notifications or whatever, like sleep mode or whatever it is. Focus, whatever. Yeah, Focus mode. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to do a better job of that. So I do. I try to disconnect a little bit. We didn't have TV up there. Oh, wow. Okay. So this is actually now two trips uh, that we've taken, one with my husband's family. We did a cabin in Brown County, and then this most recent trip, didn't have TV for either of those. And so that was really nice and kind of like refreshing to be able to do that. I also realize, and I'm trying to carry this with me, like you get so much time back in your life when you aren't connected to your device. Sure. You know, like That's why they have the screen time thing, right? It, it, in yes. theory, anyway. Yes, exactly. And so I, w- I would look around, and if my phone was stashed in the cabin, I'm like, what are we doing all day? You know, <laughs> it's, it's just kind of amazing and refreshing. But then also, you kind of want to have it nearby because you want to snag, you want to, you know, snap some photos sure. and do some maybe things like that. So it was a mix of both. But I am going to try to be a little bit more mindful, especially leading into the season. I thought about um, deleting my Twitter and my Instagram until training camp starts. Just deleting the apps. Just deleting the apps. Yeah, just the apps I was off say, my phone. I was like, right. if we're going full no, scale, no, 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 no. Yeah. At a later date. yeah, I'm not going full Aaron Rodgers darkness retreat or anything like that, but just deleting them all. So that's a, that's something I'm contemplating. We'll, we'll get in. Over the next 21 days. I want to get into more social media with you a little bit later mm-hmm. because at some point, and I don't know if Eddie has made the leap yet, but we'll ask him a little bit later in the show as well. But. A Twitter competitor has arrived. I want to see yes! if you have made the jump just yet. Okay. I've, 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 do you want to get into this later, you're saying? I want to get into that a little All bit right, later in the it. show. Okay, cool. Because since we have you here, and we are pretty guest-heavy throughout the day. Michael Grady's going to join us bottom of this hour. We'll get all things NBA from him, as well as a little bit of Bruce Brown talk from Michael Grady. He'll, of course, also be out at Las Vegas Summer League as the voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves, so we'll get a little bit of action from him there. Top of the 1 o'clock hour, Evan Sidery is going to talk big picture NBA free agency, give us a recap of what the Pacers have done to this point, and the latest on the Damian Lillard saga. We'll also talk to David Woods, Courtney Cronin. At this point, we might have another guest, perhaps, I'm working a on later it. in the show. Uh, a fa- we, can, we can tease it. A face familiar to yep. our market, Trisha Whitaker from The Rays and also Apple TV, MLB on Apple TV. So reached out to her to see if she would want to jump on before we get into Major League All-Star break and, and chat. So she's just one of my one of my favorite people. So I'm, I'm hoping that she can come in and uh, spend a little time with us because I think she has a game today. I, I can never keep up with her schedule. Talking about social media, that is someone who would like, I, I need like an <laughs> Apple AirTag to sure. follow her because I have no idea where she is at any given point. One of the few redeeming qualities about the Tampa Bay Rays this time of year for me is Trisha Whitaker being <laughs> yes. out there. So looking forward to potentially talking to her. Things are tough for you in that regard. I mean, yeah. you know, no one feels bad for Yankees fans as they shouldn't, right? Because, you know, it comes to the territory. But Tampa Bay Rays, very, very good. I believe they're actively in a series with the Phillies right now and the countdown to the Home Run Derby and All-Star Weekend is, fa- or the All-Star Game, rather, is fast approaching. 
arriving right around the middle early stages of next week, if I'm correct on that. In fact, it's on the board. How about that? Eddie Garrison doing double duty. Home run derby here, right here, 8 p.m. on Monday, an all-star game. And, and Eddie had to just run down to my car and swiftly <laughs> did so. Like, I mean, if we have a scouting report right now, I mean, I'm going to give you high marks on the speed and efficiency. Because <laughs> he had to go get my parking ticket for me. I left it in my car. He's a and team player. He, look at you. Utility man. <laughs> Last time we talked to you, there was still the ongoing mystery. Lara Overton joining us here on the Fan Midday Show, have her throughout the day today. On Colts training camp, how that was all going to get mapped out, and you, of course, on Colts.com with J.J. Stankovitz, with Matt Taylor, with Jeffrey Gorman, have been able to cover all of Colts' things throughout the course of mm-hmm. the season, and most notably, or most recently, rather, training camp. As you find out your schedule and you look at what's most intriguing from both a fan and a journalist standpoint what jumps out at you from that training camp schedules we're inside now of three weeks from when we get things underway over at grand park well i would say from the fan standpoint it's joint practices no doubt those are when you have the best opportunity to see best on best ones versus ones from both sides you're going to get bears offense versus colts defense and then vice versa and all of that is free it's open to the public those are going to be i think highly attended yeah. practices no doubt. And you're, I mean, think about like, you know, you get Justin Fields, you got Matt Eberflus coming back to territory. He knows very, very well. This is going to be a fantastic test to see what Anthony Richardson looks like against that Chicago defense. There are so many factors in there, you know, and then watching from the standpoint of where is Shaq Leonard's progress? How is Jonathan Taylor? Are we able to finally see what Michael Pittman looks like working with both Gardner Minshew yeah. and Anthony Richardson? And then from the standpoint internally, the, the first thing we look Look for as the schedule is revealed. What are the practice times? Sure. Because that dictates our entire day of trying to turn content around. So it, it's kind of been all over the place. There's been mornings. There's been afternoons. Selfishly, the morning practices are awesome because it gives us the entire day to get the best of the day's content out within the most timely fashion possible. You're up there super early, but yeah. it works out really well there. And there is a really healthy mix this year of early practices in the 9 to 10 a.m. range, which is really great probably if you're wanting to avoid the heat of the day. If you've got you know young kids, it's good to get them out and doing something right. early on. But then there are also some afternoon and a healthy dose of evening practices. Night practices are always so much fun um, when you get out there. So there is a mix of a lot of those different things. But I, I think that you look at not only are there joint practices in Westfield at Grand Park that the Colts will host, but now we also know how it will stack up with the Colts going to Philadelphia mm-hmm. for the preseason finale and also having a preseason or a joint practice in Philly, which is going to be very interesting because you have Nick Sirianni, new coordinators within his system, Shane Steichen going back to the team, which he helped lead to a Super Bowl appearance. A lot of things in there that are going to be really interesting to follow in that latter half of training camp as well. We've seen a handful of these joint practices around the league and obviously with the Lions last year for the Indianapolis Colts. And we've been able to get a measurement for the team is able to get a measurement for how they stack up at that point in the season. As we've seen over the last couple of years, preseason game drop by one. So there's three preseason games now that's become a norm around the league with the addition of these joint practices. How have you seen the change of 
where the most time for first team reps is divvied up between joint practices versus what's actually seen in those preseason games. It's been really interesting and I think it's something that's specific to your head coaches and it'll be something to follow with how Shane Steichen applies his philosophy on those things because just referring back to last year, what Frank Reich's philosophy on it was is you really get the most quality in evaluation from joint practices. He thought that was the best opportunity to see as much of your first team versus as much of their first team as possible with injuries aside and, you know, kind of some of those veteran days that they will get, vet rest days and different things like that. So we saw the philosophy of 2022. A lot of your starters are kind of the majority of your starters in Buffalo. That's when we got to finally see, you know, what Matt Ryan looked and like and this and that. I think he had maybe two to three series uh, there in Buffalo and then pulled those guys. And then you really saw very few you saw some in the second preseason game none Mm -hmm. in the third preseason game because leading into the second preseason game last year uh, that was against Detroit you got so much work over the course of the week that you weren't going to overload guys I mean you think about when you have two joint practices back to back consecutive days about two hours in duration a day off and then you play a game that could be a pretty heavy toll so you know you knew to expect that you wouldn't see guys like Jonathan Taylor in those kind of situations so the preseason schedule and the number of joint practice practices is going to heavily implicate the amount that you will see the starters. Here's what I'm interested in, though, is by that point, you will have had a healthy dose of mixing in Gardner and Anthony within this offense and seeing them up against Chicago in that week, in that preseason game two week with the joint practices. However, is it more so just about for rookies and not just Anthony Richardson, guys like Juju Brents, Josh Downs, Darius Rush, uh, you know, Tommy Adebare, those different guys. Do you want them to not just get reps, but go through the motions once again of a pregame routine and going through warm-ups and going through that type of situation and then maybe you have them play very minimally in the game where the greater benefit is just kind of getting into what that routine is is looks like for you and what that works with in terms of preparation for game time. I think that's a necessity for rookies of getting the real rituals and the yeah. aspects of day-to-day operations that are going to take place on a game day, and that's why there's still value within these preseason games, especially for first-timers that are trying to get into a rhythm of what it's going to be like on a real NFL Sunday. Conversely to that, though, and to your overall point about how reps are divvied up and what fans can expect from joint practices, even though initially there was pushback from the last couple of seasons with preseason games being from four to three now, you see joint practices being a, I don't want to call it a new age way, but but a new adapted and embraced philosophy around the league where they want multiple of these sessions, not just one with one team. They want to be able to have joint sessions out of the gate because they feel it's more beneficial both for their team and their coaching staffs to have these shared practices versus just another mundane preseason game that doesn't really mean anything at the end of the day. You're exactly right. And it doesn't even just come down to reps and how you split them up among starters. You also look at the fact, and this is something that I learned from working with Coach Reich the last few years, 
you really water down the playbook yeah. in the preseason games. You don't want to show too much in those three preseason game opportunities that you have. That's not so much a concern in practices, yeah. right? Like you're you really are kind of digging in a little bit more into the meat of things in those practice opportunities, less so than you are in a game. So it's you know advantageous to really keep your playbook very vanilla in the preseason games. Well. That's then you're not getting as much benefit. You're not getting as much evaluation benefit right. from your starters if you're not putting them in as game-like situations as possible. That works really well for evaluating the back half roster talent and the decisions where you're really having to decide how many wide receivers are you carrying, how many running backs, how many linebackers. Those type of things are what those situations are really best for. So I think that's something to keep in mind as well. We had James Boyd on the program yesterday. Lara Overton with us of Colts.com. How great is James Boyd, by the way? He's great. It's always good to have James around, the the lone Colts-specific beat writer over at The Athletic, and he he does a heck of a job on that beat. But we asked him from a positional standpoint where he's most focused or what intrigues him the most non-quarterback division, because all eyeballs, of course, are going to be on Anthony Richardson, Gardner Minshew, who's getting getting more reps, who's getting the majority of those. Is there a clear tea-leave reading of who the starter is going to be outside of that discussion, which no doubt we'll have at some point today, or at least get your pulse on what you're going to monitor with quarterbacks, other position groups that are really catching your eye or where you need to see the most growth, improvement, or the biggest battles throughout training camp? I would say the biggest question that is looming from a lot of people's perspective right now is cornerback. Without a doubt, yeah. And the youth that you currently have at that position, and not just the youth, but you know, Kenny Moore has to set himself up for a bounce-back type of year. He has admitted that 2022 was disappointing by his standards, and he went through a lot, a ton of growth. I thought that Kenny really showed immense maturity when we got into this offseason, when he had a couple of sessions with the media and then and also taking over as really the leader of that position group to this point. It's gotten very, very young. You lose Stefan Gilmore, you lose Isaiah Rogers in this offseason. So this is a an area in which Kenny is really embracing that group and his role within that cornerback group is pretty niche and very specific with the role that he plays in particular. So there's going to be heavy emphasis on these young corners and what they can do. And you know you put like what position is Dallas Flowers in going into this year? I mean, he was incredibly in- impressive in certain situations last year. He comes in as a guy who I think has an immense opportunity to prove what he can be. Tony Brown I, is one who flexed some position versatility within that group of the secondary, and he showed what he can do at certain points. He's more of a veteran guy. He's played with a number of different teams prior to coming into the Colts, so Excited to see what those guys can do in addition to the draft capital that you invested. And one of the things that you want to keep in mind is the rookies in terms of those rookie draft picks, Juju Brents, Darius Rush. Juju didn't get to do anything in the offseason and minicamp period because he had that procedure on his wrist, which the Colts knew coming in, knew when they drafted him that he was working through that. Uh, It seems like that he was making pretty good progress from the timeline that they have laid out for him. But then also Darius Rush had significant time early on. Then he was rather limited in that latter part when you look at minicamp. But one of the things I was watching with Juju Brents, who, of course, has tons of local uh, interest, um, and 
I was watching him, even in the time that he obviously wasn't on the field going through the work, he would stand, you know, right into the end zone behind the secondary and he would go through the motions and go through the various routes that they were working and all of that. So he did appear to be very engaged. And I think he's setting himself up to from the moment he's cleared from a medical perspective. It doesn't appear that it will take him long to immerse himself and, you know, be someone who is a factor within that secondary. And I also think that when you look at the way that Gus Bradley likes to assemble his defenses, both of those guys are really good mm-hmm. fits for how he likes your cor- your cornerbacks, you know, to to be in terms of very long, very athletic, uh, very instinctive type of guys. But yeah, you you did gain for the amount of experience that you may have lost at cornerback. You gained a lot of size and athleticism. And it's not impossible to have a rookie class come out at that position and make an immediate impact. But it's all dictated by, as you mentioned. Those with more experience, even if it's few and far between right now in the cornerback room, being able to guide them on the right pathway to making strides game over game. And that's where the responsibility is going to rely, like you mentioned, on somebody like Kenny Moore, on somebody like Dallas Flowers in the second year with the team. Kenny Moore, obviously a longtime veteran, but in a contract year for him. And then if Juju Brents, again, it's been unfortunate that we haven't been able to see him yet but again like you mentioned it wasn't a surprise with not the, at all. the procedure that he went and through. I, I'm always of the philosophy like I don't need to see a ton right. in May and June like that's that's fine by me like be there in August be there yeah. in September and then we'll put much more stock in it at that point so you you would much rather I mean you've seen guys look you saw you know, guys lost injury you know mm-hmm. in, in OTAs in many camp Daniel Scott so you you just really have to weigh that to some degree as well but to the other side of that how encouraging is it that your entire offensive line and your entire defensive line were pretty healthy through your entire spring and early summer. I mean, that in and of itself, especially the offensive side of the ball with how many question marks and criticisms have been launched their way, a large portion of it rightfully so based on what happened last year. But Tony Sperano Jr. and company aware of the assignment that's ahead of them to get this offensive line back on track. But it's imperative that they stay healthy throughout that. And that is, you ask anybody, we've had Jeff Schwartz on the show before, a former longtime offensive lineman and now with Sirius XM NFL. And he stresses how rare it is for offensive lines to stay healthy throughout the entirety of the season. It just doesn't happen. So the longer you can get into the start of the year and beyond with a healthy collective unit, not to say that they can't have slip-ups, even if they're fully healthy, but that is half the battle with what this offensive line jumping off point has to be. And it's been a long time. And for so long, that was what you boasted about this offensive line group of the Indianapolis Colts, is that they were so healthy, there was so much continuity, so much great chemistry, and then those injuries did start leaking in, and that has hampered guys at every level. And then you've really shown the last two years the lack of depth at that position, too. As healthy as you know you can have your starting five be, yeah, that's great, but inevitably, you're going to have situations where other guys are going to have to step in, and you cannot have the drop off, you know, from your starters to your backup guys. You've got to be able to have some sort of reinforcement in there, and we did see some investment in that over the last two uh, off seasons to make sure that you do have guys who are able to work in in behind uh, that group for sure. What type of opportunity is present for somebody like Jelani Woods? We were talking about yeah. this last week, where. This is a tight end room that on paper appears like it could be wide open in some regard. It could be a situational or, or by committee at times, but with 
what Woods has shown and what the Colts hope that he can be for this team would be taking a leap forward yet again and achieving some level of tight end one status within the National Football League. This was a conversation that we had on the podcast last week with Matt and JJ. So they're, they're pubbing the Colts official podcast. There you go. Absolutely. You can go ahead and listen to it because we had a bit of this debate um, in our conversation about what the role would look like for Jelani. And one thing that Matt Taylor kind of throughout there to the rest of us was that in 2021 under Shane Steichen Dallas Goddard played nearly 70% of the steps yep. missed five games with a shoulder injury then last season so Matt's point was Jelani Woods this was something like the do you see it segment so Matt was saying do you see it Jelani Woods will be the tight end version of Dallas Goddard in Indianapolis next season so you think about some comparisons that's one thing that he threw out there with you know the type of production that Philly was able to get with a guy like Dallas Goddard is Jelani Woods that guy and I think he has been put I think he has been placed with an opportunity and that's a huge challenge for him to rise up to the opportunity is going to be present for him there I think that he could one day find himself in that path Mm -hmm. this season I don't have the leap to be able to say yes I think he can be that but by season's end if there were strides there you ideally want to be able to have in a Shane Steichen offense a reliable tight end just like Goddard was for them throughout they stole weapons on the outside and you know pass catching ability of A.J. Brown an elite wide receiver one talent but they also had somebody in Dallas Goddard that was as stable and consistent as anybody for a player like Jalen Hurts and that's what you want to have for Anthony Richardson. You certainly do and one hesitation that I just have right now is it's a little too soon to tell because unfortunately for Jelani he had this hamstring injury that really limited his time in OTAs and minicamp so it's difficult to one gauge where he is right now and two gauge how much rapport he's been able to build with Gardner Minshew and Anthony Richardson and one thing we learned from both quarterbacks before they broke minicamp is that their plan was to go work out. They'd been in Jacksonville together. Ironically, or coincidentally, prior to the draft, Gardner Minshew no. and Anthony Richardson were working out the same training facility in Jacksonville. And their plan was to bring several of their pass no. catchers, so not just wide receivers, but other guys in to, to work out together during this period of time. So is Jelani what's healthy enough to do that right now? Is he one of those who is able to do that? Is he still rehabbing? Where is he in that progress? And then what rapport is he able to form? Because in the time we were watching, the tight end that was most consistent with every single quarterback was Kylan Granson. Yeah. Obviously a different type of tight end than Jelani Woods, but in terms of just time on task, Kylan Granson had more than anybody, so it appeared. We're going to take a quick break here on the Phantom Midday Show. When we return, we'll have a conversation shifting towards the NBA, a little bit of Colts, a little bit of NFL as well, with one of our favorites, Indy's own Michael Grady. Great show for you in store as well. Evan Sidery, David Woods, Courtney Cronin, and a potentially Trisha Whitaker if we get the confirmation on that as well. But Michael Grady, voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves, joins us next on The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Welcome back to the DriveHuber.com studios for the Fan Midday Show. 
Jimmy Cook with Lara Overton, Eddie Garrison behind the ones and twos. Efforting Michael Grady as things stand. He's got a big week up ahead, making the trip as most around the NBA do, which is that trip to Las Vegas for NBA Summer League, as we mentioned, July 7th through the 17th, when that gets underway. So it gets started tomorrow. And for the Pacers side of things, it's an opportunity to see all the new toys from the NBA draft, as well as a handful of players that have one year under their belt, including Benedict Matherin. Don't worry. MG, he'll, he'll be back. He's he will a, be back? He, yeah, he's in the middle of something. He's going to call back in three minutes. He's a craps table or something right now. He's just placing a few bets before things get underway. I was going to make that joke to him, but I, I, I don't think he's left Minnesota yet. I think he's still uh, I think he's still up there and, and getting his bags packed and getting okay. ready. I'm gonna, while we have a minute, though, I'm going to boast sure. on Michael Grady really quickly. I uh, Michael and I were doing work with the Pacers at the same time when he was doing PA, and I was emceeing for a few years, so got to know Michael very well. And a couple years ago, a friend of mine had a family friend um, who he a young boy who is a huge Nets fan who's going through a very difficult time with the cancer diagnosis and different things and they were looking to send him a few uplifting messages before he underwent some treatment Mm -hmm. fired off a text to Michael Grady and within five minutes, there's this video message, this very heartfelt, you know, making sure he knew the kid's name and and, and very encouraging words. And then he got Sarah Kustak, um, you know, who's a phenomenal broadcaster mm-hmm. as well from the Nets. She recorded one and this and that. And it just completely made this kid's day. And he's in remission now and healthy and all of that environment. But like Michael Grady is just one oh, of yeah. like, I mean, I know as talented as he is and everyone regards him for that, but as a human being, just absolute he is the good of the world i mean just he would drop anything Mm -hmm. at any point for anyone and he's just fantastic and so any chance i have to be able to brag on the human being that is michael grady i will always take a chance to because he did not even hesitate and i was like anything else i can do whatever else you need you know no it's mg to a t absolutely yeah that that doesn't matter uh, what it is if you reach out to him and he has time he's gonna make some time for you every time we were talking, I want to go back to Colts for just a second here because we're going to have a larger conversation around the NBA landscape through the rest of next hour when Evan Sidery joins us as well. But fans are going to continue to ask you, me, Eddie, yeah. anybody about where the direction at quarterback is going to be for this team. Now, I know all three of us in this room, there's no, well, maybe you do, but for me and Eddie, <laughs> no clear indication for where this thing's going to go. What number training camp is this for you going in? Uh, five? Put you on the spot. Five, so, yeah, hold on. 19. Yeah, five. Okay, I had to, I had to do quick math there. <laughs> As you, they, I mean, because 2019 sure. was my first, and it kind of was a blur after yeah, that. Yeah, I believe you know? that. The, 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 nothing really happened in 2019. It was pretty, pretty laid back. For you now, though, this is the first year, at least for my vantage point, where it feels like there's legitimate quarterback battle even though the two have respect for one another Mm -hmm. and they're they're, they're working out together and it appears to be a healthy relationship regardless of who ends up getting the nod this feels very different covering training camp knowing that there's that element added to it oh no question and also with not only do you have a quote-unquote quarterback battle you also have a quarterback in which you invested a fourth round pick in who everyone's biggest knock on him was the lack of 
game experience yeah. he had coming out of college. So I think the intrigue is heightened because of that as well. I think that if you had a rookie quarterback draft pick like a Bryce Young, there would be fewer questions, not even just because of between the two quarterbacks that you have deciding who will be your starter and who will be your backup. You just have less tape to go on to know exactly yeah. what this quarterback, this rookie quarterback, will look like at the next level. When you think big picture, there's no question that when you do invest a fourth round pick, any first round pick for that matter, in a quarterback, you are hoping that he is your quarterback of the future and he will be the franchise that you will build around for the foreseeable time. However, when you do have such an element of inexperience, you do have to reinforce that by having a balance between those two. I think the really good thing for the rest of your offense is that there isn't a drastic variation in terms of the mobility between these two quarterbacks. Certainly, Anthony Richardson is more athletic than I would say most quarterbacks in the NFL and more athleticism than Gardner Minshew. Yeah. But Gardner Minshew is still a very mobile quarterback. So it's different than if you had, you know, were to have Matt Ryan with Anthony Richardson. Right. So at least you do have, in terms of kind of comparable mm-hmm. skill sets to work with and build around, regardless of who that is, certainly your playbook is going to have different nuances between those two, but you at least have quarterbacks who do have an element of both having that versatility that you saw Shane Steichen have such great success with, with guys like Justin Herbert when he was with the Chargers, and then most recently with Jalen Hurts in Philly. The fact that Gardner Minshew has the rapport and the familiarity with Shane Steichen and his offense from last year in Philadelphia, it automatically, it is, it's a massive leg up for him, but it's such a weird paradox, and I don't envy the Colts in this position, but it's such a weird paradox to be in where the main knock on the quarterback that's the fourth round or the fourth pick, but the first select or the first round pick is that he doesn't have the reps. Mm -hmm. The solution would be go give him reps. But if he's not ready, you risk setting things back or having to clean up issues that might not have been present otherwise. And so, yeah, you have to very much make sure that he is fully up to speed with everything that goes into prep for game day so that when he takes said test for week one, he's good to go. Absolutely. You do. It's it's that factor of, you know, you've got to, to some degree, measure giving him that experience with also preparing him for the opportunity to do that. Michael Grady is with us now. Indy's own, the TV voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves. MG, we were joking ahead of time that perhaps you were you know busy finishing up on the tables, but you haven't left for Las Vegas yet, correct? Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, I got there you now. There yep. we go. Yeah, I'm new to this radio thing. So, um, so yeah, <laughs> I'm new to this radio thing. What's good? First of all, good to be on with you guys. Uh, and, and Lara, you know your fam. How you doing? You I'm great. So great. It's good. always fantastic to have an excuse to get to catch up with you. Always. Um, but no, it's been a, it's been a whirlwind. Uh, last, you know, 48 hours or so, I had to fly to. I woke up 7 a.m., flew to South Carolina yesterday for an interview with Anthony Edwards. He just signed his $260 million rookie contract, flew back last night, woke up today, get a fresh haircut because you need a fresh haircut for Vegas. And um, and then I've got to finish packing for uh, 10 days in uh, in the desert. So, um, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun. 
<laughs> MG, I know that you're you're a, a loyal friend and are always kind to come on, but in our text thread last night, I didn't know it was a cross-country journey that was in the middle of all this, so I, I extra yeah. appreciate you making time for us. <laughs> oh, you know, you guys, are, you guys are family, so I'm always down. <laughs> always down. You know that. You know that. But no, it's been a, it's been a fun, fun, uh, you know, busy summer. And Vegas will be, Vegas will be wild. I'll do a little bit of stuff with the Timberwolves. I'll do six games for NBA TV. Um, hopefully, when Bayama plays in the Spurs game, that I'll call. There'll, there'll be a lot of fun action. A lot of stuff happening with the NBA. And of course, I've been keeping my eye on what's going on with the Pacers, too, on what's been an interesting summer for them. Before we jump into the Pacers, I want to go back to this interview with Anthony Edwards. Uh, as much as you can, tease us up on what you got out of that. What was your, your biggest takeaway? Because if you're flying out to do that, you know, sit down, getting back out of there, it's got to be certainly some, some meaty stuff to make it worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, it, it seems, you know, cliche for a play-by-play guy to gush about, you know, a key player on his team. Um, but I'm I'm not diving into hyperbole when I say he's one of the best players that I've ever been around, that I've ever had the privilege of covering. And, of course, my Indiana days with Paul George and guys like that. And in Brooklyn, I was around KD and, and, and Kyrie and some really talented players there. Obviously, all-time great players there. Um, but Ant is, is is still just 21 years old. He put, had to put the team on his back last season to keep them afloat when Carl Anthony Towns was injured. Um, he wanted to play every single night. He didn't like taking games off. Um, he, he had a bad ankle sprain late in the season. I know a lot of guys who would be done would have been done for the rest of the season. He only missed a couple of games. Wanted to come back. First time All-Star season ago. And again, he's still so young, still just 21 years old. And so he has a real old-school mentality and old-school approach when it comes to competing and battling. And I know a lot of folks are skeptical when they see guys get these rookie contract extensions and some of them haven't accomplished anything. Folks might be hating on Halliburton, you know, hasn't been in the playoffs, got the 260 mil. Um, Desmond Bain, why are they giving him that much money? Um, you know, LaMelo Ball, like what's he really done? Um, and and all, all of that is up for these guys to prove the doubters and the haters wrong. And with Anthony Edwards, it's the same kind of thing. He has been in the playoffs for the last two years. And he has elevated his game in the playoffs the last two years. And so we just kind of talked about his journey, um, talked about how his hunger is going to remain the same, you know, despite the money coming in and just the people around him that have helped him get to the point. He has to get to this point. It's a real fascinating story. As you look at what the Timberwolves have, well, I guess we can't officially say anything on it until things are signed, but as you look at the expectations for them going into next season and with Anthony Edwards being this clear centerpiece now, where do things change, if at all, for the Timberwolves after a very strong but but not as long-lived as they hoped appearance in the postseason? Yeah, well, last year was all about the attitude of how is this all going to fit, you know, with Paul Anthony Towns. <clears throat> and then, you know, both guys were kind of dinged up to start the season. Uh, Gobert had a knee, Carl had a severe illness. And then right around Thanksgiving, um, Carl has a severe uh, calf injury. And so he misses 50-plus games. And so you really never got to see what this season looked like at full strength. Now, Carl going down allowed Anthony Edwards to blossom into the all-star that he is. Um, but now, fresh start, fresh opportunity to see what this team is going to look like. Really constructed, 
fully healthy and to hit the ground running. If they don't, then changes are going to be And obviously, Carl Anthony Anthony Towns, it's no secret that his name is at the top of the list when it comes to potential changes and things don't look great to start the year. But for now, I mean, you have Joe Barrett at the five, you have Carl Anthony Towns at the four, um, Mike Conley, Lawrence North product. At the, at the point guard spot, Jaden McDaniels is a tremendous defensive player. And then Anthony Edwards trying to, again, continuing to take his game to another level. And that's not a bad it's not a bad starting five in the Western Conference. So um, so a lot of expectations headed into next year. Michael, referencing, going back to, you know, summer league play, one of the conversations that we've been having a lot on the show so far is just about in terms of looking at NFL training camp and the NFL preseason, how you weigh in terms of the amount of time that you will see a lot of these rookies, a lot of these high draft picks and all of that in order to get them ready for the regular season. When you look at NBA Summer League, the much anticipated, of course, debut of Victor Weminyan that you referenced, how much is reasonable to expect to see these very high-profile rookies and, and new additions to the respective rosters when we get to the summer league? I, you know, it's a balance, and I think Larry, each team is going to have a different um, approach when it comes to it. And, and, and my book, and this is selfish as a, as a broadcaster, I want to see as much of these guys as possible um, because in reality, it's July. You know, training camp's not going to start until late September. Preseason games won't start until October. There's a significant gap there. So I would love to get a, a really good look um, at, at these guys. And at the same time, especially given what happened in a pro-am game with Chet Holmgren um, last season, um, you can understand that teams want to be cautious, yeah. especially if they have a high-value pick like a Wimbyama, um, like a Scoot, uh, like a Scoot Anderson, like a, like a Brandon Miller and some of these guys. So, so there, I, I imagine there will be some teams that are extremely cautious. And at the same time, I think there will be teams that, are, that, that just want to get a good look. And so some of these guys will play plenty. Um, Keegan Murray, for example, was a starter on a playoff team a season ago with with uh, Sacramento. Um, played quality minutes for the Kings. I think it was last night. Put up forty plus points and uh, looked really good. But he's a guy that he doesn't need to play much. Um, but because uh, I think you know what you have in, in Keegan. But it's a good experience. I think it's really good competitive energy. The arenas are going to be uh, uh, packed for sure. I think I think it's going to be a fun atmosphere and a great opportunity to learn learn and see what some of these guys are all about. TV voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves, Michael Grady, taking some time with us here on the Fan Midday Show. MG, while you were with the Brooklyn Nets, you, of course, crossed paths with the Pacers' latest signing, or reported signing anyway, in Bruce Brown, getting a reported two-year, $45 million deal from the Indiana Pacers. When you look back at his time at Brooklyn to what he was able to do with Denver, did you see that within his game, that type of capability to embrace a role and take over when called upon? And how do you see him meshing with a team like the Indiana Pacers with where their trajectory is? Um, Bruce Brown is one of one of my favorite people in period. Um, he's 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 such a fiery competitor and in Brooklyn they utilized him as we, we nicknamed him Biggie Small because he was a he's a guard that that they were using almost like a power forward. And so he was rebounding hitting shots in the paint, hitting floaters and different things like that. When he was in Detroit, he was more of a point guard. And previously, he was more of a point guard. Um, but in Brooklyn, they used him in a different role because they were pretty much set in the backcourt. And then in Denver, he kind of went back to the guard duties, playing backup point um, for Jamal Murray. And it was, it was the perfect situation for him, you know, in Denver 
the way that he was utilized and given the talent on the roster, given all the attention that Jokic gets, given all the attention that Jamal Murray gets, Michael Porter's a, you know, a talent, talented player. I mean, they have guys that can go out there and get buckets. And then Bruce Brown could basically be used as kind of a utility guy, whatever you need, dirty work guy, hustle, fast break situations, aggressive defensive player on the perimeter. Um, uh, and so as long as he's in a, in a role like that, you can't ask of him to, to, um, to uh, you know, hey, we need you to go out there and get 20 a night, or we need you to go out there and hit a bunch of threes, or we need you to go out there and get us 14 assists or something like that. You know, he has a role. He's a tremendous, tremendous um, above average, you know, role player in this league. And I'm, I'm happy he got paid. I'm happy he's going to be in Indiana because his, his brash bravado and all that type of thing, trash talk. I mean, he'll hit a corner three and say something to the opposing bench. Um, and he backs up a lot of his talk. So uh, uh, that's my guy. I'm really happy to see him um, come to Indiana. I'm really excited to see how they look next season. And as I was just scrolling through Twitter, Scott Agnes is reporting Pacers have scheduled a press conference for 1 p.m. with two players. He's expecting that to be Tyrese Halliburton and Bruce Brown as they acknowledge and formally wow. announce those contracts for those players respectively. When you look at the significant addition of Bruce Brown, the extension very deservedly so for Tyrese Halliburton, then draft picks like Jairus Walker. Grady, what encourages you most about the way that Kevin Pritchard is currently structuring this roster and how they have addressed alongside Rick Carlisle this 2023 offseason? Yeah, I think, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how Rick Carlisle puts it all together. Because, um, uh, you know, when I was praising the Bruce Brown pickup on social media, folks were, joking, folks were you know, replying and joking about how they, um, they have a lot of guys who do similar things. And so that's going to, that's the challenge for Rick Carlisle to organize and make sure that it all fits and works given, you know, Benedict Mather and what he was able to do a season ago and his trajectory as a talented, fiery, fiery player who's still just scratching the surface at his ability. And of course, Therese Halliburton as being the guy that makes everything go as the orchestrator and maestro out there on the court and Miles Turner, you know, and, and everything that he brings to the table with his shot making as a big, his shot blocking and that whole thing. So I think I'm really curious, and you mentioned Walker, I'm really curious to see how all these pieces work together. We saw this team make huge strides a season ago. They certainly were in the playoff mix for a stretch before injuries and other things crept in, and they should be in the mix, and I think it would be a disappointment if they weren't at least in a, in a play-in situation this upcoming season. MG, appreciate you making time for us again. I apologize, didn't know it was a cross country affair, but uh, sa- oh, all good. Safe all travels good. to you out in Las Vegas, my man. Oh man, good talking to you both. Hope we catch up soon. Always great talking to you, fam. Safe travels. You got you. Take care. That's Michael Grady, TV voice of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Great perspective there, not only on where the Timberwolves are at with that extension for Anthony Edwards, the identical extension in terms of the the premise behind the designated rookie extension as Tyrese Halliburton received from the Pacers, and then the insights there of Bruce Brown and his development both in Brooklyn and then the time that he spent out there in Denver. Ran a little long there, but still to come, top of the hour, we'll go big picture NBA with Evan Sidery, David Woods, Courtney Cronin still to come as well. Back in a moment on the Fan Midday Show. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Fan Midday Show, Jimmy Cook and Lara Overton from the DriveHuber.com studios. Special thank you to Michael Grady. You catch him like the rest of the NBA out at Las Vegas for NBA Summer League, July 7th through the 17th. Quick one here. And Anthony Richardson throws a touchdown. <laughs> Quick one in this segment before we get to Evan Sidery and go big picture NBA. We'll have a larger discussion on this either at 145 or 245, but there's a Twitter competitor out there now. Mm-hmm. Threads has joined yeah. the fray, a, a, a byproduct of Meta and Instagram. Have you made the jump yet? You know, as I was starting the show by talking to you about how I was going to try to be very, you know, mindful of my app <laughs> usage before training camp, and I was going to maybe delete a few things off of my phone. Now we have an emerging platform. Like this is very much competing with my, you know, remote living that I found in Wisconsin and my off the grid mentality that I had for five years, five years, five days, <laughs> not five years, five days. Now we have this. I, I don't. I haven't jumped on board yet. I haven't fully grasped what it is other than the th- the fact that people seem to be very pre- very peeved, very perturbed with Elon. So now we've just launched this competing factor. I'm I'm mid uncrustable right now, so I think I've got to uh, <laughs> I've got to fuel up for the threads conversation so that I can figure all of this out. Well, we'll circle back around it like I said a little bit later in the show, but suffice to say that if I see one more post from I'm sorry, Eddie, even though I love baseball as much as the next guy, a random baseball account that's asking me if I'd rather try to steal home on insert catcher here or get $2 million cash up front, I'm going to lose my mind (laughs) because I'm not following any of these accounts, Mm -hmm. but it's algorithm based right now on your homepage and it's, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. You talking about threads? I am talking about threads. I'm not on it, so I wouldn't know. Okay. Well, if you join it, you'll get plenty of, I'm sure, uh, baseball crossover that'll, you know, be right there up your alley. We'll shift away from the Threads conversation and we'll go back towards, again, NBA free agency, what the Pacers have done, potential announcements as just about an hour ago or a little bit under an hour ago, free agents could officially sign their contracts with their new teams. We'll get into that and more with national NBA reporter Evan Sidery when we come back on the Fan Midday Show. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Jimmy Cook and Lara Overton here for the Fan Midday Show. Evan Sidry going to join us here in just a couple of minutes. Covers the NBA at large. Get his insights on both what the Pacers have done to this point in free agency and also the latest rumors in regards to Damian Lillard in Miami. And I am fascinated by this whole situation, by the way. The, the whole setup in Portland and Miami, yes. what's going to happen yes. with Damian Lillard? Exactly. I really am. Do Very you, invested in Do this. you miss drama-filled, sleepless nights <laughs> not happening in your backyard? you envy that <laughs> at all that it's happening in Portland? I think maybe that's that's what it is. Is I'm like, wait, what? There's all this activity and I'm not involved in it? So now I have this like this thirst for drama. It's This is like my own personal bravo like i don't watch reality tv this is what i watch i watch you know free agency of the nba and the nfl that's that's where i get my fix well i i guess i've watched more than double uh real housewives for any of us because that was on the television the cookhouse thanks to my wife last night we were diving into some some orange county was off to the side so i was 
It was a mess. <laughs> it's, it's, if you ever want to feel better about the level of stress that you may or may not think you have in your life, turn on one of those yeah. and you'll be So Andy fine. Cohen is like a Tony Reale in the uh <laughs> Sometimes. In not, the not, not always. Usually, usually it's one where she tapes it and then fast forward past uh, <laughs> Andy Cohen's power hour. But no, yeah, exactly. He, he fills the role of Tony Reale in that regard. But the, yeah, the Damian Lord situation is, I don't call it a mess, but it's turned into... A loving couple that nobody wants to be the bad guy to go and ask for a way out to Damian Lord finally willing to be that bad guy. And now it's like, well, we're going to do the thing that teams should do, which is we're not going to trade you anywhere you want to go because we have or you don't have a no trade clause. We want to get the most Max capital compensation. That we can Absolutely. For you. I know I was very, very much tempted since we already talked to Michael Grady. I'm going to throw out. I was tempted to text Brooke Olsendam, mm-hmm. formerly of the Pacers, who's now in Portland. But I'm like, I'm sure she can't talk yeah. about it at all. She's in a very difficult position. She's very close with Damien Lillard, has phenomenal rapport. So I'm very interested in what Brooke would be able to say off the mic sure. about it. You know, I mean, you, you, as a team yeah. member, you understand how that's a fine line that you have to walk, particularly when trade rumors are about. It certainly is. Certainly is. Evan Sidery joined us now. Evan, as, as you followed all of NBA Free Agency, and thank you very much for joining us, but as you follow all of NBA Free Agency and all the trade rumors that arrive with it, we were just discussing the Damon Lillard situation. Are we any clearer on if it's Miami, if it's a three-team deal, if it's going to be somebody else at this point than we were a few days ago when he asked for the trade? It certainly feels like at this point, just based from all these latest reports from Adrian Wojnarowski, that they were kind of just in a stalemate between Miami and Damian Lillard's camp in Portland, all just staring each other down here, hoping that Damian Lillard wants to go to the Heat. The Heat want him to be there. But it really seems like, to me, that's going to be the Portland Trailblazers are going to really hold out for the best possible offer and see what happens. But I have to imagine with Damian Lillard and his agent coming out and saying that he only wants to play for the Miami Heat, that's going to be a long, drawn-out process here, probably another couple weeks till it happens. But for, it seems like that the Blazers don't want to take on that much salary uh, in return for Damian Lillard. So it'll probably be like a three- or four-team deal with a lot of details involved in it. It sounded like that in terms of conversations that had emerged, there were some people speculating, hey, could could New York be a contender? What about Philadelphia? Are the 76ers someone? Are there any other teams that you think could realistically insert themselves into the conversation and particularly be a counter for Miami? Or is it exclusively Miami from everything that we know? Or is there someone who you think could weasel their way into trying to entice the talents of Damian Lillard? Yeah, it's a really good question. I really kind of feels like all the momentum is going towards Miami at this point, and unless Damian Lillard somehow opens up his list again to where he won't be a disgruntled player going to a different situation. But I do think that there's a couple teams that do make sense if they want to get involved here, and that they're the teams that hold a lot of picks. And there's the Brooklyn Nets, who they've gotten a lot of picks in the Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant trades. They have a couple good young pieces, too. They've always made a lot of sense to me as a potential target just based off their draft capital and their young assets. And he'd be a lot of fun with those young guys in Brooklyn with Mikhail Bruce and Cam Johnson. And another one, too, just an under-the-radar one I would keep an eye on would be the Utah Jazz because they have all these picks. Damian Lillard played college in Utah as well, so maybe that could pull out his heartstrings a little bit. But uh, it kind of just trying to think of some realistic options, really not that many that could go out there way to try to convince Damian Lillard unless a team like for example the Boston Celtics decide to go Jalen Brown in a deal like that which I very much doubt would even be a possibility so I'd probably look at those two teams the Nets and the Jazz and kind of go from there on that. 
For Damian Lillard, who has played to this point the entirety of his NBA career with Portland, seven-time All-Star, all of the different accolades, he has established himself as such a figurehead of that community. They've built so much of the team, the franchise, around his being there. How did things kind of sour this quickly? Is it purely just Damian Lillard sees that there it is a fleeting opportunity to finally win a championship and Portland's not the place to do it? Or is there more to the story that has gotten them to this point? It just kind of feels like long, drawn-out frustration from Damian Lillard and finally wanting to be in a winning situation because ever since around 2017, the Blairs have been trying to be win now, try to be in this position to help Damian Lillard get a championship. But every single time they come up short, they don't make the biggest moves possible, which he wants them to do. So it's been kind of just been a long, drawn-out kind of expectation that Damian Lillard would eventually get to this point. 11 years in his career, it kind of was later than everyone thought it would happen, but kudos to him being as loyal as possible in that situation. I feel like the NBA draft, when they had the third overall pick, and then not trading away that third overall pick, and then Scoot Henderson, for a superstar type of player like a Paul George, for example, probably was Damian Lillard's last straw there, because now you add in another young guy to that mix of an extremely young core now in Portland with Damian Lillard. That's not a playoff contender. That's not a championship contender at all. So I don't blame Lillard for asking out, but the way he's going about it, it seems like kind of forcing his way to one spot in Miami where the Blazers won't be able to get much assets in return for him. It is making it a little bit dicey, and a long relationship that we all thought was super strong between Portland and Lillard is kind of souring here at the end just based off the ramifications of wanting to get this trade done. National NBA reporter Evan Sidery with us here on the Fan Midday Show. We live in a NBA society, Evan, where player empowerment or players themselves hold most of the cards, generally hold all the power compared to the other sports leagues. As you look at the chess match that's being played both by Portland ownership as well as Dame's agent and Dame himself basically saying flat out, as you highlighted there, Miami is where he wants to go, thereby kind of further chopping up any leverage that the Trailblazers actually have for other teams. Is this a stress test for how far players really do have power within the league, even with all the loyalty that's there? Is this a stress test for that exercise of the amount of power these players have? Yeah, this kind of feels like a really important moment, to be honest, for the NBA, because Damian Lillard just signed his four-year Supermax extension. And I know Kevin Durant had the same situation last year, but this kind of feels like more where Durant had to wait six-plus months to get what he wanted in the Phoenix Suns. They had to wait till midseason. Now Damian Lillard seems like he wants Miami only. He wants Miami now as soon as possible. And without a no-trade clause on that contract, over $200-plus million still up on this contract, too. Those last two years were 60 million a year for him as well. That's I think it's going to be a situation to me where it's going to be players, if he doesn't get what he wants here, players are going to want to hope for no-trade clauses in their contracts moving forward here to kind of have the power back because Bradley Beal had that when he went to the Phoenix. Phoenix Suns, he had to choose where he wanted to go. If he didn't have that, I doubt he would end up in Phoenix because they didn't really have much assets to play with here. It just kind of seems like stars are trying to loophole the system, and teams, small market teams especially, are kind of standing up for themselves here. So this might be a, a thing to watch out for in the future, where when these players sign these big contracts and a year later force them for, try to force their way out, it might get uglier and uglier as we, the more process we draw on through. Talking big picture, but also Pacers involved. A few days ago, DeMontis Sabonis agreed to a contract extension with Sacramento. And you were retweeting this, Evan, saying that that trade, Tyrese Halliburton, DeMontis Sabonis, is going to go down as one of the cleanest win-win blockbuster trades in recent memory. How much of a win on both sides was that trade as we have a couple of years now to look back and reflect upon it? And Tyrese is obviously signing that extension as well with the Pacers. What made 
that trade as successful for both parties as it has been when you look back to the hindsight that you now have of 2020? Yeah, I think originally when we look back to 2020 when that deal happened, everyone thought the Pacers won that trade in a landslide. And I think they still absolutely won that trade with a young point guard in Tyrese Halliburton, who's their new face of the franchise. But when you see how well DeMontis Sabonis fits with De'Aaron Fox, fits within that new offense that Mike Brown is running, it's a fantastic fit both ways. I mean, both these teams are set up for a very long-term future of winning. Uh, we saw the Kings last year really jump from 25-plus wins to over 50 last year. It's a huge jump for the Kings with Sabonis in the fold there. And you see with the contracts, almost half a billion dollars between those two guys with Demonis Sabonis and Tyrese Halliburton on their new contracts. It just kind of goes to show you that these kind of win-win trades are very much a rarity nowadays. You don't really see a team acquire a superstar and get a superstar in return, and it works out as quickly as it does. It usually takes around a couple of years for that new team to really see it the benefits there, but really right away in a year, we see Tyrese Halliburton become an all-star in Indiana. We see Demonis Sabonis become an all-star in Sacramento, too, and that team has so much success. And now you see this Pacers team, how they're building around Tyrese Halliburton, too. They're a team that kind of reminds me of the Kings of last year, where they could be in a really good spot next year, take that big jump as well. So all around, every way you look at it, it was a huge trade when it happened, but now looking back even, even more on it, I think it's really, you can go down, like you mentioned, it's one of the better win-win trades that I've really seen in the last 20-plus years. We've officially reached that point of free agency where free agents can now officially sign contracts and teams can formally introduce them. As Lara mentioned, the top of our conversation that's taking place right now at Gamebridge Fieldhouse with Bruce Brown being welcomed to the Indy Media for the first time. Ordinarily, I give front offices a hard time because anytime any signing or draft pick happens, it's, oh, it was number one target. We're very excited about it. But with free agency and the amount of money that the Pacers spent to get Bruce Brown, I fully believe Kevin Pritchard when he says what he did today. Bruce Brown was our number one target this summer. We feel good about it because it was swift. It was quick. It was one of the first moves that came off the board when NBA free agency officially opened last Friday. As you look at Bruce Brown, the career that he's had to this point, he gets his payday, he gets rewarded, but he's also going to be called upon to fill a necessary role on this Pacers team from jump. Absolutely, and he really fits exactly what Indiana needs. We've heard about the last couple of years, and especially last year. They had an elite offense with Tyrese Halbert on the court, but on defense especially, it was one of the worst in the NBA, 27th in the league last year. But now you add in Bruce Brown, even though he's on the smaller side, six foot four, he's one of the better on-ball wing defenders in the NBA. You'll see him probably take the toughest matchup most nights defensively for the Pacers next season. Although it's an overpay, you had to reach the salary floor for the new CBA, which means you had to spend about 90% of your salary cap where you had to give up to other teams and taxes. So I think the Pacers doing what they had to do overpaying, making that second year a team option. I know $22.5 million is a lot of money, but Bruce Brown within this role in Indiana as an elite defender, a a connecting passer, a good shooter in the corners for three-pointers as well, he should slide right in as a 2-3 combo for Indiana, be an instant starter, and make a huge impact. When you add in Bruce Brown, Jairus Walker to the mix as well, this Indiana team has really overhauled their defense. And next year, I would not be surprised at all if this team is like a top 15 defense to go with the top five offense. And that right there is a playoff team for the Pacers if that happens. 
From a big picture standpoint, aside from the emerging drama in Portland and a lot of eyes fixated on what happens with Damian Lillard and that situation, what are the other free agency, not that he is a free agent, but that's the trade situation. But with this early part of NBA free agency, who are the other big factors who are going to be targeted that are going to be premium uh, areas of focus for the remaining teams in the conversation? As it seems like the Pacers are probably going to be pretty quiet. Seems like they've already really made their commitments and already decided how they are going to allocate in free agency. Where is the other conversation and focus on? Yeah, it really feels like the second wave of free agency is really on hold until we see two deals happen. That's Damian Lillard with Miami or wherever he ends up, or it's James Harden with Philadelphia. It sounds like Philadelphia wants to keep James Harden, but that market is kind of slowing everything down there with these two superstars on the trade block. If, if the Sixers get what they want, they want draft compensation, young players, which it sounds like they're not getting so far. So I would not be shocked if that drags on for a while. Same with Damian Lillard with the Blazers. It seems like both sides are digging in pretty hard on what they want to happen there. It really feels like when you see the tier one of free agency, nowadays you see free agency, it's all done within the first 48 hours as, as far as the big names go. Now it's kind of bargain shop hunting on the margins for teams. Maybe it's using an exception or two for some players too. But the second wave of free agency really right now is on hold until those two things resolve in Harden and Lillard. So that's what I think every team's looking out for right now is eventually when those dominoes fall, you'll see the rest of those signings probably go through. Evan, I was under the impression, at least the early reports, when James Harden accepted his player option, opted into that player option, that it was to allow the 76ers to trade him and move on from him. And now it's feeling like, and maybe rightfully so, Daryl Morey wants to take a full look at this and not rush to anything, make sure that he gets the proper compensation for James Harden back. Is there a scenario where now that he's opted or he's taken that player option where Maury doesn't get the offer he wants and Harden all of a sudden is with Philadelphia by the time opening night rolls around? I would actually lean surprisingly more towards that happening now than I think a trade does. Just based off everything you're hearing from ESPN, Zach Lowe, Adrian Wojnarowski, that it sounds like Darrell Morey is asking, like you mentioned, a super high price for James Harden. As for the Clippers, for example, they want Terrence Mann and multiple draft picks, and the Clippers are balking at that. They're just going to offer expiring contracts and, and fill or maybe second-round picks, and that's not enough for a player of James Harden's caliber. And we've seen Darrell Morey do this before. Ben Simmons, he held him out for over six-plus months, and eventually they got James Harden out of it. But I have to imagine with James Harden at this stage of his career, it's going to be hard to kind of kind of find a team that's willing to pay a heavy price for James Harden. So I think eventually this will end with probably James Harden staying in Philadelphia and probably reassessing in February because we've seen Daryl Morey do this before. And at this point, I'd probably bet against Daryl Morey taking a bad offer than trying to get him off the books quick. From James's mental standpoint, do you think that had any – crossing of his mind when he opted in because on the one hand he had true control over where he was going to go but he might not get the same payday that he would have had he just opted in like he did or is there going to be ramifications to that now knowing that he might not get traded but he is going to be making a fair sum of money next year yeah, I think it was also James Harden looking at the free agency market this year and seeing that no team was going to be willing to offer him exactly what he was looking for, which was a $200-plus million contract, a four- or five-year deal, and that wasn't out there. Houston went out instead and paid Fred Van Vliet. Harden wanted to go back to the Rockets, but the Rockets weren't mutually interested in that, sounds like. So they move on to Fred Van Vliet. That's a team off the board there. And when you look around the market, there's really not that many teams with cap space who need a point guard. It's going to take a lot of usage away from other players in James Harden. So I think the market just kind 
kind of dictated James Harden to accept that player option at $35 million because he might not have gotten exactly what he was looking for there. Probably just a one- or two-year deal from a, a contending team elsewhere, probably for a lot less money at that, too. So I think it was the realization on James Harden's part that this $35 million is guaranteed, and the rest of it won't be if he declines that player option. might not be exactly what he's look, looking for when he goes out to the market there. So I think James Harden kind of knew in the back of his head that this could be a possibility, and the longer this drags out, kind of feels like we're heading toward that way. Evan, just a little bit little bit ago, we talked with Michael Grady as we were previewing some NBA Summer League, and Michael will be on the call for the debut of Victor Wembanyama. Is this the most anticipated NBA Summer League that we have seen in recent memory when you think about these games are sellouts, they're being nationally televised uh, on ESPN? Is, has there been kind of more anticipation for a Summer League that you can remember? Yeah, and when you look back to how big Summer League's gotten over the last 10 years, because Summer League used to really just be a diehard NBA fans thing where it wasn't a lot of eyeballs on it. But now over the last 10-plus years, it's a huge event out in Las Vegas. And the last one I can remember having this much hype was Lonzo Ball at the Lakers in 2017. But now you look at Victor Wembanyama, he's viewed as the greatest prospect, arguably of all time in the NBA, I would say more realistically in that same breath as LeBron James 20 years ago in 2003. And I think that the hype is certainly warranted for Victor Wembanyama. He has elite, freakish athleticism, uh, size. He can shoot the ball like Kevin Durant almost in certain situations. So the upside is there with Wembanyama. I look back, like I mentioned, Alonzo Ball in 2017, but Wembanyama and what he might do for that Spurs team, he's easily probably the most hyped prospect heading to Vegas that I've remembered in the last 10-plus years for sure. Evan, we know that the rules have changed in terms of the salary floor and the need for teams to hit that at the start of the league year versus at the end of the league year. And we know the Houston Rockets needed to reach that salary floor. All that said, the eye-popping contracts they've given out to Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks around the opening stages of free agency – What's the plan there? How much of that is they had to reach the salary floor, so of course they're going to spend, and how much of it is, oh, well, there's legitimate contributions that could be made in the help of developing the young, raw core that they feel they have out there in Houston? Yeah, it kind of feels like just paying the tax of being a losing team the last three or four years. The Rockets have been the worst team in the NBA, bar none, over the last two or three years. They just have looked more like an AAU team than they have an actual NBA team with no discipline on either end of the court and a lot of young guys, not a lot of veterans. And they had to pay a pretty premium tax to get Fred Van Vliet away from Toronto and Dylan Brooks away from Memphis. And I was stunned by the Dylan Brooks contract, even more so than the Fred Van Vliet contract. Four years, $80 million, all guaranteed for Dylan Brooks after his exit in Memphis was really stunning to me. Fred Van Vliet getting a max contract, he was very surprising as well. But those two guys are known to be really good culture setters as far as what Emmy Udoka wants to do in Houston, be defense first to help those guys out. I think for being veteran leaders in that locker room, that will be worth the price. But the early results for that team, I still don't think they're going to be that great of a team the next year or so. So it might look look back on it and probably be bad contracts, but at least get them out of the gutter of the NBA, so to say, and get them more respectable. Getting guys like Van Vliet and Brooks were probably worth the price of admission there. Evan, a non-free agent tie, but more of a finalization of a draft pick with a local tie. Adrian Wojnarowski reported yesterday that Trace Jackson Davis had reached a four-year deal with the Golden State Warriors that included two guaranteed seasons. Obviously, there's a number of question marks from a big-picture standpoint of how Trace Jackson Davis can thrive in today's NBA. How effective can he be, and, and is he able to stretch the floor? All those are questions that will get answered over the course of that deal. But when you look at the Warriors being willing to guarantee two of those seasons, 
as well as it being a four-year deal with options you would think they would likely pick up, what type of clarity is now made for this opportunity for Trace Jackson Davis and what he has the ability to gain under Steve Kerr with Draymond Green, of course, coming back with that extension? Yeah, I know here locally in Indiana, there was a lot of, of hysteria about passing on Trace Jackson Davis, and for good reason. I think he was a legitimate top 35 talent in this year's draft. Probably should have been a first-round pick looking back on it. But his agent kind of steering him towards a, a really good situation, in my opinion, in Golden State, where compared to most places for Trace Jackson Davis, you would have gotten a two-way contract, maybe one or two guaranteed years tops. But with Golden State... Kevon Looney's on a two-year contract now. There's no other big men really in the way of Trace Jackson Davis. He could be a guy right away in Golden State where he could carve out a 10-15 minute per game role. And that's unheard of really for guys that late in the draft to do that. But Trace Jackson Davis landing in a spot with the Warriors, getting that guaranteed money on top of it too. I think he's a player that you can look back on later this year or a couple years down the road. And he's going to fit very well as a role player with the Golden State Warriors. I think he fits very well helping Steph Curry in some pass situations, setting those guys up defensively too. He's a great Phoenix to Draymond Green defensively and Kevon Looney. So I think as far as development goes and actually getting a quicker role, I think Trace Jackson Davis could really break the Warriors' rotation this year and really be a legitimate good rookie for them, which I think is great for Trace and it's great for his development too because not a lot of places are going to be offered that for him. It's hard to argue that's not the perfect spot for him, and we can't wait to see exactly how it all unfolds underneath Steve Kerr's direction out there in Golden State. Evan, great to catch up. I know it's still a very busy time for you. No doubt we'll talk as Summer League unfolds and comes to a conclusion here in about 10 days or so. Absolutely. Anytime. Appreciate it. That's Evan Sidery, national NBA reporter, taking some time with us here on the Fan Midday Show. And going back to the initial announcement that took place and is still ongoing in terms of media availability of Bruce Brown's initial introduction to the Indiana Pacers and the Indiana media, it's one of those situations where ordinarily there's always front office talk or front office chatter of, oh yeah, this was the guy we had all along, but you want to see teams with clear direction that have prepared themselves going into the start of free agency to strike quickly for a player that was as attractive in terms of fit as Bruce Brown was. Yes, the Pacers paid a premium, but when you're in a market like this and you absolutely want a guy and think he's a perfect fit for your team, you need to be able to be willing to take that plunge and they didn't hesitate whatsoever. With and Bruce the Brown. Pacers have been historically pretty selective in how aggressively yeah. and how early they have pursued players in free agency. So this is an indication that this isn't something they always do. Oh, we, there's a guy who's a hot name early on who's highly coveted and we're going to be in the conversation early. They have been very pragmatic in how they have approached free agency yeah. in the past. So when you do see them make a move this swiftly um, and you know, kind of this boldly, I I do think it's a great indication that it does align of how much of a focal point he was, both because of the fit that he is and the talent mm-hmm. that he brings and how he supplements what this Pacers team has built already. We talked a little bit about it, but from, and this was from Dustin Apirak on Twitter, but he had mentioned that from his understanding, Obi Toppin likely won't be here today. They still need to finalize things on that deal. But of course, Bruce Brown getting his. Official introduction today over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Tyrese Halliburton likely, I think, as well to speak at some point, getting that designated rookie extension. It was funny. I was listening to that press conference mm-hmm. while you guys were talking to Evan, and uh, <laughs> Rick, you know, touched around it. He beat around the bush. He's like, you know, there's another reported player that's coming here. <laughs> yeah. He goes, when you look at what, you know, last year, an effective field goal percentage in transition, like we talked about yesterday, but he looked at the effectiveness. It was one, two, and three. Obi Toppin, um, Tyrese Halliburton, and and uh, Bruce Brown. So 
It seems to be like it's pretty much done. Just a formality, I think, is yeah. where they're at at this point. And that'll be one of those things where, again, the league has come down aggressively on teams for less, so you would expect for Carlisle to be able to walk that tightrope very cleanly. That's what's always one of the more frustrating things about this period of time is how it's mandated. Things obviously leak through agents, and you know, you got Woj bombs and Shams and all of those yeah. guys who are getting the information out there, yet the team is still unable to officially make comments on things that are widely known and obvious. My favorite thing about all of it is when the clock starts for NBA Free Agency, which was 6 o'clock on Friday night, you would think, Lara, because there's no tampering or early conversations happening. Everybody waits until 6 p.m., of, <laughs> of course, for these conversations to happen. It's funny that millions of dollars are being thrown around recklessly three minutes into NBA free agency. See, I mean, it's, it's just weird. It's exactly like we say this about the <laughs> combine. Yeah. Like, in addition to a period of time that the combine is for assessing yep. those who are going to be draft selections and those who are coming out of college into the NFL, it's also a heavy period of time in which you have agents and GMs having all of these what? different conversations. You know, that's <laughs> no what. Way. Yeah, yeah, you're not just going to Starbucks to get your morning coffee. You're not just going to St. Elmo's to have a little dinner or, you know, 1933 to have a, you know, uh-huh. post work cocktail. Like, all of those things are happening within that period of time as well. I mean, it's, it's obvious and it's known. Like, you can regulate it as much as you want, but I also think that there are other things that you have to be more strict uh, about than worrying about that that type of situation because the business is going to get done one way or another. Just don't leave a paper trail, kids. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the message there of the day if you're trying to have negotiations like that uh, behind closed doors meetings or in plain sight getting your coffee. I always thought they were just talking about their excitement for March Madness upcoming around the corner. But that's, exactly, that's, that's, that's exactly not, what it so is. That's not what it that's, is. Or, or who got the reservation <laughs> you know, for the uh, shrimp cocktail that evening? Who's picking up the tap? That's what all the conversations are. How the are wife? Started. How the kids? Exactly. <laughs> That's all, that's, all, that's all you need in those conversations. And then you're done. Then you're back to your regular business. Lara Overton with us. Eddie Garrison behind the ones and twos. I am Jimmy Cook. We mentioned a brief trip out to Las Vegas for Michael Grady. We come back. We're going to take a trip out to Eugene. David Woods will join us. USA Track and Field Outdoor Championships. About to get underway here in a little bit this week. We'll get all the latest out from Eugene, including some local ties. When we come back on the Fan Midday Show. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Welcome back to the Midday Show. I am Lara Overton alongside Jimmy Cook and Eddie Garrison and apparently Avril Lavigne. Also <laughs> on this lovely Thursday afternoon, we've been talking NFL previewing training camps and talking NBA free agency, breaking news over at the Fieldhouse today, announcing the signing of Bruce Brown, but also mixing in some track and field conversation because the U.S. Track and Field Championships kick off today, get underway in Eugene, Oregon at Historic Hayward Field and joining us is one of the great track and field writers in the country, David Woods, covering the championships for Diestat. David, appreciate your jumping on with us, especially given that time change you get when you're uh, out there in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, thanks, Larry. It's, it's a little. I just leave my watch on Eastern Time and, and kind of go from there. So uh, I've already got a 
running today over Trees Trail, and, and uh, after we're done, I'm going to head over to uh, Hayward Field for the start of the heptathlon. Oh, you are speaking my language. That's what these guys didn't know that they were in for, that I would have to inject a healthy dose of some track and field and a bit of uh, Hayward nostalgia. I'm very envious because last year when I was out for World Championships for 10 days, I got onto Prees Trail pretty much every day, one of the best places, of course, to run in the country. David, you and I were both recently out at the NCAA Championships. We missed each other in Austin, Texas. We were on opposite sides of the track because they keep everything pretty secluded between kind of the broadcast entity and writers and, and all of that. But this is an, a high, highly anticipated U.S. championship in that, you know, a lot of people will watch the Olympic trials in an Olympic year. This is now a back-to-back world championships year for track and field because of how the pandemic stacked up and how it impacted the schedule of track and field. So when you're talking about U.S. championships, notable Olympians from Indianapolis, Pikes, Lena Irby, Cathedral Product, Cole Hawker, both competing, and then a newer name to the track and field conversation, a recent NCAA champion and Ball State's Charity Griffith. Yeah, Charity Griffith, in fact, is picked by track and field news to make the team. Uh, she's actually, uh, she's from Rushville, Indiana. She's actually transferring from from Ball State uh, to Kentucky, uh, I think because of her fiancé. But uh, yes, yeah, she, she's certainly in the mix, and and uh, and uh, you know Notre Dame's Jared Nagus has set American records this year in the indoor mile and the outdoor fifteen hundred meters, and and uh, you know the men's fifteen hundred meters is among the more intriguing uh, events here at the at the nationals, and and we have a couple of uh, former IU runners, uh, you know, unretired uh, Andy Bayer and uh, Daniel Mikowski are both in the steeplechase, and that's a very wide-open event. And I, I feel like both of those guys have a chance to make the world team this week, and I think they have a chance to make the Paris Olympics next week. And it's also a, a big stage for, you know, 19-year-old Addie Wiley of, of Huntington University, who's, uh, who's in with, uh, you know, all the elite pros of the, uh, uh, you know, of, in the sport in the 1,500 meters, and, and it'll be interesting to see how she fares also. David, you had a story that you tweeted out about this earlier this week, but for the first time in 17 years, NBC will not house directly on NBC network television the four-day track event. You have to go either go to CNBC, as you mentioned in your story, or you can get it on Peacock. As you've talked with different athletes that are participating in the outdoor U.S. championships for track and field, I know you quoted Noah Lyles in that story, but... How damaging, if at all, is it to the event or to the sport as a whole? And what is the long-term outlook for track and field events across the board with NBC holding those rights? Well, I, you know, I, I think it is a temporary setback. And there's so many things that, that, that went into this. Uh, you know, for, for one thing, it, it's it, without getting, I guess, too, too much in the weeds. Um, World Athletics sets aside certain dates. If you have nationals at this date, uh, you get extra bonus points in world rankings. And and unfortunately, we, we make this sport more convoluted than it needs to be. So in order to get – and some of the athletes need these world ranking points, so that was a factor in having it here. And then having it uh, – it, it's been so hot the last couple of years, they made it later. So, you know, then you're sort of out of the, out of the window that NBC allots for that. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, NBC – you know the ratings aren't 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 great for track, you know, but they're not terrible. And it, it would seem to me that you know NBC sort of needs to 
protect uh, you know protect its you know Olympic property and kind of you know build build stories and you know build stars. I mean they do this in every they do this in every other sport, and so it's somewhat incumbent upon them to uh, to uh, you know I, I think showcase you know showcase uh, some of the Olympic athletes and and, and track and field is a centerpiece of. Uh, of the Olympics, you know, ever since 1896. So a lot of factors went into that. Uh, I, you know, I think it's kind of a temporary setback. They got decent ratings for the uh, Los Angeles Grand Prix in uh, in late May, and uh, you know, I think that was good of USATF and Max Siegel, the the CEO, to have a Los Angeles presence. You know, because you kind of want to, you know, have a have a long-term build-up from now until the 2028 Olympics, too. Um, you know. Lara knows all this too. It's just uh, it, 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 it gets very complex. I mean, I, I really love it when when ESPN uh, has all the you know has all the NCAA meets on, and and it, you know it was a little bit you know different for them this year too. So, uh, but you know, and, and unless you know track gets the you know gets the ratings and and, and gets the you know some of the name recognition out there, um, you know it, it's it's hard for the networks to justify. But it's too bad because the sport doesn't doesn't lack stars but it it does it does lack it does lack that name recognition in the mainstream and but again i've i've covered this i've covered this sport for half a century and that's been true the entire time i've covered it so i i don't know that that much is has changed David, you mentioned the star power of track and field. Noah Lyles, certainly among those. Sidney McLaughlin will be out there competing, the world record holder in the 400 hurdles. You have Shakari Richardson, who is on a you know kind of comeback campaign um, after what she went through the last two years. But among those athletes you referenced, we talked about Cathedral Product, Cole Hawker. He was one of those who really erupted onto the national and international track and field scene after winning the Olympic trials in in 2021, beating Matthew Centritz and Yard Nagus in that performance, went on to finish sixth in the Olympic Games, had a great indoor season in 2022. Where has he positioned himself coming off of the injuries that cost him the outdoor season last year, unable to compete at world championships after kind of what he went through last summer? Where is he in that conversation among the men's 1500 meters after some early performances that he had in the outdoor season? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question, Larry. Because you could make—I mean, his his season two years ago. You got to remember, he was just two years out of Cathedral High School. I mean, I think it was the most you know amazing season by a college miler in in you know forty five plus years. You know, since since Jim Ryan, uh, you know, was setting world records and 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 uh, winning Olympic silver medal in in nineteen sixty eight. But but Hawker uh, after last year's pre classic, which was in like late May. Of 2022, you know, he, he he was injured and and then didn't uh, you know didn't make the world team. You know, ran a few races late and then had some Achilles problems this year. Uh, but he's had a couple of good results. He ran he's run an 800 meter best. But it is really tr- intriguing to see where he ends up. I think it's also important to remember he's only 22 years old. Um, Unbelievable. Th- there was a time actually two years ago, and this could still pull true. There was a time I thought he would. He would become the, the most important athlete I would ever cover uh, in, in a half century of covering, you know, all all kinds of different sports. Because I, I thought he had a chance to win a uh, Olympic medal at 1500 meters, which is which is maybe there's only three or four marquee events, and 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 that's one of them. And and I still and I still think he could do that. 
um, if he, you know, if he makes the, but even making making the team now, the the, uh, the United States and men's fifteen hundred meters with with really a bunch of young guys, you know, no hangers on. I mean, you know, uh, Matthew Centralist was Olympic gold medalist, but that was seven years ago, and you know, he, he's not going to make this team. And it was but, that uh, was a very strategic race too, the way it was set up. Yeah, it, yeah, was, it was it was it race. favored Centro in the way it played yeah. out. But you know, Hawker's Hawker's a great talent. Uh, you know, so is Nagoose. And on the women's side, Addie Weil is a great talent. She's the fastest teenager in U.S. history. And uh, only, uh, you know, Jenny Simpson, who, you know, or Jenny Berenger Simpson, who went on to win a world championship and Olympic bronze medal, has run faster than she has in college. And and Jenny did that when she was a senior. And, and Addie Weil is just a freshman. Uh, of course, there's, there's the, you know, the uh, specter of that scandal continues to hang over uh, Huntington University, but uh, it doesn't seem to be affecting Addie Wiley on the track. You can certainly read more about that on David's Twitter profile. But one thing I want to acknowledge as you are covering the sport for Diestat, and you were just recently inducted, you mentioned your many years of covering the sport of track and field and Cole Hawker being one of the many talents that you covered his high school into college career. Now as a professional, recently inducted into the Indiana Track and Field Coaches and Cross Country Coaches Hall of Fame because of your coverage and dedication to the sport. And you were educating me recently. This is of note for Butler fans out there when we got to the NCAA championships the career of Angelina Ellis who will make an appearance for the first time in her track and field career at the U.S. championships coming off an all-American performance in the steeplechase at NCAAs and she is one of those David who has had almost a storybook like career in her time as a bulldog. Her, her, her ascension probably is as dramatic as anything we've seen on on the on the women's side in Indiana, because she she was a she was an okay runner at Zionsville, but you no, know, but nothing that would project to what she's doing now. Um, she was ninth in the NCAA's, and I, I failed to mention you got Olivia Markizic, uh NCAA champion for Notre Dame, is in the women's steeplechase. So there really are quite a few Indiana connections here, and you know it's all the countdown to. Uh, to Paris 2024, you know, people pay a lot more attention to the Olympic trials and the Olympics than they do to anything in a world championship year. But uh, what Angelina Ellis has done and really what a lot of those runners have done in that in that Butler program uh, is, is just remarkable. I mean, it's, Butler might not be as trendy as just say your, you know, your Stanford or your Northern Arizona or, or uh, Colorado or programs like that. But, uh, but Matt Rowe over there, he probably does, you know, more with less. Is it, you know any distance program you can think of in the whole country, David? As we zoom out, kind of big picture with both college track and field and and at the Olympic level, as you've seen in other realms of college athletics, NIL have its stranglehold on everything. How has that changed, not just athletes day to day, but also how you've covered the sport? Well, that, that, that's that's a good question. I don't know if it's changed how we covered the sport that much. Uh, you do have to be kind of on the lookout of like who's going to uh, get an NIL deal and what it means. I mean, Roshan uh, Willis of Stanford is a freshman. She just got one. And now something I think that transcends track and field, uh, Mia Brahe Pedersen of, um, of, uh, of Oregon High School sprinter, who's just finished her junior year, she has an NIL deal with Nike while she's in high school. And she's competing in, against the uh, – the seniors uh, here in, in Eugene this week. Uh, so that's, 
you know, that's that's pretty dramatic. I, I'm not positive. I don't think the Indiana High School Athletic Association even allows that. Some st- states allow it, uh, some don't. So when, you, when you've got NIL for a um, – for a high school track and field athlete, I, I, guess, I guess that's a pretty good indication of how much the world has changed. David, I do think that track and field is one of the sports that can have the greatest benefit of NIL, as you have seen other athletes in sports that are non-big three sports capitalize on those opportunities, the many, many that there are out there. And most recently, Parker Valby, the NCAA 5,000 meter champion at the University of Florida, she signed an NIL deal with Nike. And there was a, a very notable athlete who one of my broadcasting colleagues spoke with at the NCAA championships and she told him very candidly I make more money in my NIL deal staying in college than some of the people who also train on our campus who are professional athletes than what they bring in how beneficial is it for the sport of track and field to at least have the option of retaining some of that top tier collegiate talent and at least getting maybe another year or two years of them at the NCAA level rather than having people turn pro after maybe a freshman season or a sophomore season, at least from the interest that there is at collegiate track and field? Well, I, I think I think it's a plus all the way around. I mean, in another example, I don't I don't think Caitlin Clark, you know, the Iowa basketball player, you know, can make nearly as much money in the WNBA as she can by staying at Iowa. But the reason it's good in track, it's so difficult to be a pro in track in that the shelter of a college program allows you training partners, you know, travel expenses paid for, you know, coaching, access to, uh, to uh, you know, medical facilities, all those things, which you have to, to figure out separately if you're a professional track and field athlete. And then plus, by the time you do go pro, you know, I think you're more accomplished and you're more ready to do so. So I, I think there's a lot of benefits in, in kind of staying in. I've always thought there's a lot of benefits in staying college longer for the track and field athlete anyway because the 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 sport is littered with people who i who went pro i would say too early and and their careers you know kind of went to pieces and now not only is i think beneficially for performance wise it's it's beneficially uh financial wise too um you know that could apply to a sport like swimming too or uh now it's unfortunate someone like lily king who went ahead and stayed in college (laughs) anyway but for her last three years of college uh, who knows how much NIL money she could have made uh, per year, you know, just while swimming in college and representing IU. David, how can everyone follow all of the fantastic work that you're bringing over the next few days out there in Eugene with obviously limited opportunity for television viewing? Um, as we discussed earlier, your content will certainly be at a premium. Yeah, our, our, our stories will be on, on diestat.com. That's D Y E. Stat.com, and those same stories are also uh, uh, also posted on runnerspace.com, um, and then I, you know, I, I I link to them all or or retweet them off my uh, Twitter account, uh, David Woods 007. That, that's my Twitter account. Uh, I, I I hope Twitter hangs in there. I know that's kind of fragile these days. You mean you haven't but, made the uh, switch to Threads yet, David? <laughs> no, I, I I don't. I, I'm still I'm still hope, I'm still hoping Twitter Twitter. Uh, uh, stays on life support. 
<laughs> David, appreciate you so much and all of the fantastic work that you continue to do for the sport of track and field. And I am envious. Take a couple laps on Priest Trail for me. Go visit uh, the Bowerman statue while, there, while you're out there. And I'm sure that you and I will connect offline and have some good text banter uh, of the performances that will begin oh, yeah. shortly. And if you have Peacock or CNBC, you know you can you can still and and USATF.tv as well. Yes. Yep. 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 All all the places are available. So if you want to, it's, it's readily available. It's just, but but those are those those are for the hardcore nerds like myself. Uh, it, the, the sport needs to to grow the audience, and the only way to do that is to get on a network like NBC. Awesome, David. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time and enjoy it out there. Can't wait to uh, see all the coverage from in Eugene and Hayward Field. Hey, thanks so much, Laura. Thanks for having me on. Always great to talk to you. The fantastic David Woods covering the U.S. Track and Field Championship from historic Hayward Field. If you haven't seen Hayward Field, it is truly one of it's kind of like this homage to the sport of Mm -hmm. track and field and they overhauled it a few years ago in anticipation of the world championships and it is a truly spectacular track and field venue there's a lot of people within sports media that are having a confusing time right now because it's hard to gauge where the best place is to throw content out yeah and yeah you forget for a second particularly somebody that has covered sports for as long as David has and and you're used to Twitter what's going to happen to long-term writers or older writers as like they'll still put out content but it's this weird shift of like I'm even having a hard time uh, wrapping my mind around threads and and I'm of the younger generation where tech's supposed to come like that and it might not even work with threads Twitter might still be it or it could be some other social media platform where all sports or media content is out there. Oh, absolutely. You're just constantly adapting What's and evolving. What's your follower What's count my, I, I'm, I'm opening it up. That's great. So uh, for those of you playing along at home, I started a Threads account 50 minutes ago, and I am up to how many followers? Where do I even see? see now this is the struggle. See, Where do I even see, see? There it is. We're seeing it Where live. Where do I even see? 57. I have 57 followers in 50 minutes. So uh, if you want to join in this banter that we are having, uh, go ahead and follow me on threads. It's just at Lara Overton, L-A-R-R-A-O-V-E-R-T-O-N. And you can just be confused along with me. I I don't know what I'm doing with this, but why not? If Eddie ever decides to make the plunge, I would assume it would be some variation of at Eddie Garrison underscore, which is where you can get him on Twitter, unless you make a switch. The only reason why I have the underscore on Twitter is because... Some other fool. Some imposter, That's Eddie why you need to early adopt to make oh, sure you lock true. in at Eddie Garrison and get it we'll uh, on, we'll the, on the front end there. For me, it's at the Jay Cook like it is on all other platforms. So if you're interested so in... So you are on there. Oh, yes. I made, did, I made the plunge did, last night, but okay. again, I don't really... I've still not made a concerted full dive in there other than there's a bio up there. There's a couple of threads started, but... It's still very clunky. I want to just get the accounts that I'm following in my feed. I don't want a bunch of... <laughs> random so bleacher report which is one of kind of you know one of the best emerging platforms of sports coverage they tweeted out um it's a photo of jay crowder and with the quote i don't know my purpose here and they said us trying to navigate a new social media app so it's not just (laughs) us it's 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 global (laughs) in terms of people that are on threads trying to figure out what it is i used a i think you should leave skin if i'm just trying to understand what's going on here like that's all that's really happening for a lot of people with threads 
Yeah, it's it's a struggle. We'll for, get an update on your follower count where things are at. Yeah, I'm sure that's what people are tuning show. in for. They I'm cannot wait. For they I, can't I, wait. I, I want to see what kind of jump we have. Uh, hey, as you know what unfolds. you can't wait for is Courtney Cronin, mm-hmm. who is phenomenal, and she obviously covers the Chicago Bears for ESPN, but is also a host on ESPN Radio. She's been doing a ton of appearances across ESPN's platforms. She just had, a, I think, her 20th career win on Around the Horn uh, this last week. So she's going to jump on to talk a bit of NBA pre-training camp conversations and no doubt we will touch on the ongoing following of a contract for Jonathan Taylor and what that conversation is like with all of the debates surrounding the going market rate for running backs and the value that there is within the NFL for guys at that position. We'll get that here in just a little bit. Got one more break in between that here on the Fan Midday Show. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Jimmy Cucalera, Overton here for the Fan Midday Show. Quick segment in between conversations, most recently with David Woods. That'll be up wherever you get your podcast a little bit later today. Oh. Just search the Fan Midday Show. This song is giving me some flashbacks of the first time I went to Heinz Field. Yeah. And heard this. Isn't this, is this yes, Renegade? It is. Yes, it is. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I, I was not emotionally or physically prepared <laughs> for what was going to happen leading into the fourth quarter when they cue this song up. It is... It feels like some sort of um, like a cult type of you're like, what is happening? Because it gets silent and then it builds and they start twirling the terrible towels. And I'm down there and I'm like on the headset, Matt Taylor, what is going on right now? He's like, did no one prepare you for this? I was like, I am wholly unaware and I'm a little bit scared down here. It's wild. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those sports in-game aspects where if you're not prepared for it, you're going to have very much not a body experience. Well, yes. And it's like, you know, a lot of those traditions that happen at, at games when you think about Sweet Caroline when you're at Fenway Park mm-hmm. or Jump Around when you're at Wisconsin, yeah. they're very lively and happy and like people, you know, it's very jovial. <laughs> this is very dark. Yeah. It is. It's a kind of a creepy feeling that you have. And at this point, the game was, it, we, I believe it was like early November. Um, and so it was a little bit, it was cool. It was a little overcast in Pittsburgh. It just had a very ominous yeah. feel, both for, for the result of that game itself and also for the environment in which we were in at that point. That had to be, what, the 2019 season 2019, then? yeah. Yeah, that's that's when we were when we were there. So, yeah, that's, that song, I always just feel like, it's a little, uh, it, it brings back a little uh, Pittsburgh traumatic stress syndrome for me. Yeah, it doesn't quite have the same cheerful ring that Bear Down Chicago Bears has. <laughs> it will take a pivot there down that way to Soldier Field with Courtney Cronin. We come back on the Fan Midday Show. 
Welcome back. Thanks for hanging out with us. I am Lara Overton, hopping on the Midday Show alongside Jimmy Cook and Eddie Garrison. And joining us now from ESPN, she covers the Chicago Bears and also does all things across ESPN platforms. Radio host also appearing on various ESPN shows. It is Courtney Cronin, and I have absolutely no idea where in the country you are at this point because I know you were just on Around the Horn yesterday. I think you were in New York. And now I know that you were in an airport at some point in between. This is like an episode of Where in the World is Carmen San Diego right now. Courtney, where are we talking to you from? And first and foremost, thanks for taking so much time out of your schedule to hop on and join us because I know you have ESPN radio stuff coming up later on this afternoon. No, I appreciate it. I'm actually back in Chicago for a couple of days uh, before going back to New York. It's the uh summer of the grind which you know very well Lara and training camp comes up in a couple weeks and none of us are mentally or physically prepared for it but we just kind of run back into it which could be you know seven straight months if your team's really good of of a grind on a day-to-day basis if you get all the way through the postseason but it's exciting it's you know it's it's the middle of July, it's a slow time in the sports calendar, but we know that football's right around the corner, so it's great. Living out of a suitcase a little bit before we do get into the thick of the football season as you're bouncing back and forth between duties in Chicago and then also on the East Coast. Most recently coming off, I'm going to boast on my fellow IU product right now, her 20th career win on Around the Horn, I saw, doing everything all across the platforms on radio and on television and on ES. ESPN.com. And Courtney, we want to reference a recent piece that you had on ESPN.com in which you studied Ryan Poles, Bears general manager, and the time in which he has ascended to his role as general manager in Chicago. What were your biggest takeaways from that? And how definitive of a year really is this for the partnership between Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus, of course, the former Colts defensive coordinator, now Bears head coach? Yeah, I think it's interesting with Poles' path to Chicago. He spent 13 seasons with Kansas City. I mean, sometimes you see people bounce around a couple different NFL organizations, but his come up in the league has been with a team that went from worst to first over the course of, you know, a decade. They were had the number 32 or number one overall pick, and then they've had the number 32 overall pick. And I think seeing how those what those parallels are of how he is very much a build through the draft person that's his philosophy that's what he learned under scott pioli under john dorsey and then of course brett beach in kansas city and they've nailed some really good draft picks travis kelsey patrick mahomes and they've won two super bowls and he was a part of the one in 2021 so very clearly he had, you know, he, he has the right path, the right pedigree uh, from where he came from. And that's what he's trying to implement here. Not necessarily like word for word, the exact carbon copy of what he did in Kansas City, but it's a blueprint to follow. He's still wanting to build through the draft. The more cracks you can have uh, at the draft board, the better. That's why you saw the Bears this year, again, with double digit draft picks, the same as last year. And I think it's, it's at a point now where you have a team that's in year two of a rebuild where you're trying to figure out in earnest this year, now that you have some more pieces around Justin Fields, if he's going to be the franchise guy. So I look at it and I think that Poles has done everything he said he was going to do, which, you know, oftentimes people get for one reason or another have to stray the course and he hasn't done that. So, I mean, will he at some day have to make a hard decision that leads him off the path that he's been 
on and, and he'll have to get back on. Sure. I think every general manager ends up going through that. And those that I talked to for this piece, just kind of their perception of what Poles has done in the early part of his general manager career is that he's made some really tough decisions in a place that has seen the turnover again and again and again, whether it's, you know, Jerry Angelo to, to Ryan Pace and now to Ryan Poles. And he's trying to do things in a very deliberate, calculated manner so they don't have to go through this rebuild again. But a lot hinges on the success of the quarterback this year, which is why during the offseason you saw them trade the number one overall pick and get a haul back that has not only future draft capital, but DJ Moore this year. So there's, they've set Justin Fields up for the most part for success, at least certainly on the offensive side of the ball. There's still work to be done on the defensive side, but they're in a good spot, I think, for a jump this year. It's not going to be three wins to ten wins. I think that's short-sighted if you just take a look at what this roster still doesn't have. But they're in a wide-open division. They have a quarterback that they believe in. And if it doesn't go according to plan, they have the fail-safe of extra draft capital and that additional first-round pick next year to maybe make a change uh, that could lead them back to or lead them on the path to where they want to go. Courtney, what is an unsuccessful additional year of this rebuild for the Bears? Is it Justin Fields regresses? Is it the pieces they brought in like DJ Moore don't mesh? I agree with you. Win and loss should not be the determining factor of whether or not this was a successful campaign for them. But inside that organization, what would be a failure or not a success in terms of the trajectory that they want to be on in this rebuild? You know, some people would go say if Fields is terrible this year or if he's, you know, if you don't see the jump, that that's, you know, an epic failure that is going to set the franchise back. I actually don't see it that way because they've built in the protections by getting the additional first round pick from Carolina that they'll have their own. If they're if they're not if Fields isn't good this year, they're not a good football team. Like there's a correlation that we saw there last year where he was good in games, but the supporting cast around him was not very good. So that's the reason they were a three win football team. But if he's not good this year, that probably means that he's reached you know, he's kind of pushed it as far as he can go in this offense and that they might want to turn to the draft next year to find a quarterback. So I don't think it's the worst-case scenario. I mean, they've, they've certainly thought through that scenario, but I would say it's more the supporting cast. If, if the trade that you pulled off for Chase Claypool, uh, sending your second-round pick, which became a first-round pick um, due to the draft order, you know, if he doesn't pan out, then you just wasted a first-round, more or less, first-round draft capital for a receiver that – you know, could be is extension eligible, and if he pans out, great. But if he doesn't, that's a big miss. And I, I look across the board. The offensive line right now is the the most concrete it's been going into training camp that we've had in Chicago in a while. So that's that's a great spot. But are those pieces actually going to lead to better pass protection for Justin Fields? So, it, it, to me, if they can't. Get out of you know get out of that like spot where it's you know three win season everything is just awful at the end the defense looks terrible you know that to me is a bigger sign that something's not working internally than if Fields has a bad season because they've already like written out that scenario and played out worst case and they know they're in a best case scenario if that ends up becoming their reality that they could go draft his replacement. Courtney, as much as you mentioned 
Chicago's success hinging on Justin Fields. I think that as you look at Indianapolis, much of the argument could be made that their success isn't just tied to the emergence of a quarterback this season. It is really on that of Jonathan Taylor and the season that he has is, has in so much of the offense, you know, relying upon his having greater production and greater health than he did in 2022. And there was a recent article by Dan Graziano, your ESPN colleague, in which he noted that Jonathan Taylor is one of the most intriguing people, you know, intriguing players to follow going into the 2023 season, not only because of the impact he has on this team, but because of the position at running back. How difficult has this landscape become of running backs who are in a contract situation like Jonathan Taylor is getting what their perceived value is versus what the market value has been set for that position? It's changed a lot, and it's not a great time to be a running back. It's not a very lucrative position outside of maybe one contract that you might get. And you know, we saw it with Dalvin Cook back in Minnesota when he signed that extension in 2020, that was a time where Alvin Kamara got his big extension. How'd that pan out? Like it didn't, it was a contract that didn't really age all that well. And Dalvin Cook is played a fully healthy season last year. It's the first time in his career that he did it, but Minnesota still found the better fit for them was moving on to Alexander Madison, that Cook at the price, the age, the production that they could get you know, they could get that and more in cheaper by going younger. And it's kind of, I mean, hell, there's a lot of parallels from from the running back market to the journalism sports broadcasting industry. They're always going to find somebody younger, cheaper, (laughs) willing to do it for less. And I think you honestly see that with running backs, too. I mean, there's a reason right now that we're at a stalemate and waiting for Saquon Barkley and the New York Giants to either work out something by the July 17 deadline or he's probably not coming to training camp and he doesn't have to. He's not going to get fined. He hasn't signed a contract. But it's the, the market for running backs, like Christian McCaffrey's deal, the four-year $16 million that he got back in 20, that's an anomaly. We will not see a contract like that, that again. And you know, the way he's utilized is not as a traditional running back with San Francisco there's there's more there's fewer outliers obviously at that position than there are the guys who like Jonathan Taylor you know it's a brutal position he got injured so early last season and now he's trying to replicate the success he had that made him a top five running back in 2021 there's no doubt I think that he can do it but like how are the teams going to view that because they're going to say well you know you factor in the injury year by the time he's signing that new contract you know, the age is a factor there. And of course, the longevity at the position when they could just go draft your replacement. I think that's the mindset we've gotten in when we cover the draft. And when you hear coaches and GMs talk about it, that it's a replaceable position. It's far easier to replace that position than it is others. And I don't really know if that's going to change anytime soon, but with the way that offenses have changed in the NFL, where passing attacks are more prevalent like that's why you see the price of receivers, the price of tight ends um, continue to progress. Where running backs, even though we know that a good passing offense is supported by a strong running game, most times you're just not seeing that reflected in the pay. Carney Cronin with us, Chicago Bears reporter for ESPN. You catch her as well on ESPN Radio and hear her also on ESPN 1000 there in Chicago. Courtney, you mentioned early in our conversation about the fact that that old boogeyman Aaron Rodgers is now out of the North and there's a real opportunity for every team in that division to maybe reestablish or take grasp of the balance of power that's there in the North. 
Vikings, you would argue, is probably at the top of that list right now with where their roster is constructed. But when you look around the North and you look at the Bears in this rebuild and their strength of schedule this year, I know 10 wins is probably out of the question, but what type of opportunity is there this season within the North without a clear front-running candidate? It's interesting because everybody has the Lions as the favorite to win the division because you know, we've talked about the quarterbacks, like who's the best quarterback, who would you want winning, uh, like you know, put the ball in this person's hand to win the game on the line. Jared Goff's the only quarterback in this division with three playoff wins and Super Bowl experience. Like It's a very wide-open group now that Aaron Rodgers is no longer in Green Bay. And you have like two guys at opposite, four guys at opposite ends of the spectrum, two on each side. Kirk Cousins and Jared Goff have been doing this for a minute. Kirk is, you know, a very consistent, good quarterback who I know that, you know, I'm in the camp that we've seen his ceiling. And that's not a bad thing, but he's never going to elevate your franchise to a point where you're thinking this is the guy that's going to win us a Super Bowl. And, of course, we saw Jared Goff get to a Super Bowl with great coaching and with great pieces around him and a terrific defense in Los Angeles back in the 2018 season. And he's in the right system. And then on the other side of that, other side of the spectrum, you have two unproven talents. I mean, Justin Fields has been the starter for the better part of two seasons, and Jordan Love's going to be the starter for the first time. A lot more unknowns versus the other side. You know what you're getting, but – it's it's kind of anybody's game at this point. Would I be surprised if the Bears went from fourth to second in the NFC North? No, not at all. I don't think they're a worst to first case, but I think a three-win team going to seven or eight wins is a massive success that they can be proud of at the end of the season, just given that means they're taking advantage of the landscape in the NFC North because of the opponents that they play. And of course, obviously, their you know non-conference, non-division schedule as well. But it's you know who knows what Minnesota is going to be now. I mean, they have all these defensive changes for the second worst defense in the. Yet there's a lot of talent that's missing there. And then you know with Detroit, it feels like they finally have all the pieces in place to make a run. And I don't think Green Bay is going to fall off nearly as much as people think because they're not in a rebuild. The rebuild's where you start siphoning off assets and they haven't done that they have 43 of their 90 players were drafted players like and they still have a lot of first rounders on defense but it's as wide open as I've ever seen it it's certainly as wide open as it's ever been without Aaron Rodgers in the division so for the first time since 05 there's that big change and you know for the team that I cover I think it's a perfect opportunity to try to you know grab some of that you know shift the balance of power back and you know, establish yourselves and not only in the Packers Bears rivalry, which has been so lopsided for years, but you know, establish yourself as a team that in a year or two is going to be contending potentially for, you know, a playoff spot and, and for the number one spot in the in the NFC North. I know you have network radio coming up this afternoon and evening, so this is going to be the last thing from me, but we are six weeks away from hosting joint practices, Colts-Bears, in Westfield at Grand Park. We'll have two days of joint practices, a day off, and then that second preseason game. So, Courtney, will have to catch up and get dinner while you're down here for that, expecting that you'll probably be here for that. But we were talking earlier about the balance of how much benefit there is to joint practices versus the preseason games and how much you will see the starters from both Chicago and Indianapolis in preseason game two. Where have you seen the greatest benefit or how have the Bears approached those joint practice opportunities versus preseason game opportunities, especially now with having more of an experienced type of roster? 
Yeah, this one makes a lot of sense because the Chris Ballard, Ryan Poles connection, Matt Eberflus, Indianapolis connection. Like last year, they didn't even entertain the idea of doing joint practices with any team because they were just trying to get this, you know, the very beginning stages of a rebuild off the ground. They truly had to work on themselves before, you know, utilizing the preseason to go up against uh, other opponents to try to give yourself, you know, a better, a better test. Like it was such a challenge last year, just fielding a a competent roster, a competent team during games. So I think this is a smart play. Um, You know, the both teams know each other pretty well, considering, uh, you know, the general manager and the head coach here in Chicago and, you know, joint practices, some people think it might not be like, you know, that big of a determining factor. But I promise you, like when you see the starters go out of games, you know, second preseason game, that's when you're starting to figure out, all right, depth chart wise, like who's the third running back, who's a special teamer, you know, on punt return, like watching for those positions. Usually at the second, I mean, any of the preseason games, but the second preseason game is typically one where, you know, the starters now play a little bit longer, but then it's like, all right, who who are the people that are coming in immediately after the starters? Because because those are usually like your high-quality backups and people that are going to get – players that are going to get considerable reps um, in, in preseason games, and that will likely determine kind of how the roster's balanced uh, come cut-down day. Courtney, appreciate you so much. What's, uh, what's next? Tell everybody where they can find you over the next few days as you are bouncing back and forth from Midwest to East Coast and all of the different platforms on which you are appearing. Yeah, well, I will be uh, I will be on ESPN Radio today, so 3 to 7 Eastern time. I'm not sure. Do you guys have, is JMV 3 to 7, or is he, or this yeah. is his show yeah. right now, No, right? no, he, he's, three, he's 3 to 6. You're right, Courtney. Yeah, yep. you got it. Okay. You might get like one hour of us at the tail end of that, but um, but yeah, a lot of that, and I will actually be in Plymouth, Indiana, and on the lake on Saturday. So very much oh. looking forward to that, and uh, getting a little time off here. Well deserved time off, indeed. Hey, look forward to hopefully seeing you during the season, especially getting down here for training camp, and yes, catch up on some well deserved rest <laughs> and recuperation, and we'll see you hit the ground running. You know, come season and uh, training camp when things get rolling in late July. Sounds great. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks, Courtney. Awesome. She's just the best. She's so fantastic. And it's always great to see not only her coverage of the Bears, but also from a national standpoint, everything that she's doing for ESPN Radio, ESPN Broadcasts, and ESPN.com. It is very tumultuous to some extent what the season could hold for the Chicago Bears. And it's it's a pathway that the Colts don't want to be a part of because they are in a similar boat of a rebuild and are trying to find out if the quarterback they've taken, they're, again, not as far along as Chicago is because Fields has been in the league for a couple of years, but you want to make sure that you get it right with your quarterback. And Courtney is right. It's a different situation with Ryan Poles compared to Ryan Pace because he'd had six years at that point in time in Chicago. And with Poles, this is still his second season as general manager of the team. But at that same time, if I was in the front office or if I was Matt Eberflus, I don't want to think about that safety valve they do have because she's right. If they're bad next year, all they need to do is break glass in case of emergency. And if they are as bad as they could be, it's Caleb Williams perhaps, and the Justin Fields experiment is over. That's great to have in your back pocket, but in an ideal world, as she pointed out there, it's not exactly how you want to start things 
in your opening year as the general manager because then it goes from year two of a rebuild back to square one. It's also an interesting case study because you have a head coach who is defensive focused yeah. and defensive minded, yet you have this fantastic talent at the quarterback position who has been somewhat unproven just in the sense of finding the consistency with which you need at that position as you do start to get into the thick of the, the more experienced years of your career and a lot of the conversation has been well there hasn't been a lot around fields there hasn't been enough around Justin Fields Mm -hmm. and it does seem like that they have addressed some of that issue but it's not unlike a lot of the conversations that you heard in Indianapolis when it was you know does Andrew Luck need an offensive minded head coach should that be the compliment to him is that what is best suited for a young quarterback and we heard that all you know brought back up as they were in the hiring process leading up to selecting Shane Steichen as the next head coach, was it going to be? How are you addressing the head coaching position knowing that you held the fourth overall pick and that was likely going to be a quarterback? So there are all of these things which come into play that have a domino and a snowball kind of effect upon one another. Yeah, and for Justin Fields in particular, and Bears fans as well, often when we're talking with the Chicago media David Kaplan often hits us with this every now and again, which is that we try to draw parallels with where the Colts are and the Bears are, but unlike the Bears, the Colts have had what felt like franchise level and beyond quarterbacks. Like Bears fans would yeah. would, <laughs> would make some serious uh, irrational decisions to have the type of confidence in Justin Fields that Colts fans around that same time had with Andrew Luck, and that's what makes this path so weird for Bears fans because – There's still this thought nationally of, can Justin Fields be a franchise quarterback? Is he the next face and the first face in a long time at that position with dominance that Chicago has been seeking out for a long time? And I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm a doubting Thomas in that regard. I need to see it from Fields before I'm ready to jump on the train of, yes, he's going to be one of these top quarterbacks, not just in the NFC, but within the entire NFL. And I think that it is such an opportunity this year because of how open that division does appear to be, as Courtney, you know, pointed to. And then it's also that period where you do need to see a definitive leap within your offense led by Justin Fields. I mean, it's year three, you know? Yeah, that's where you you need to be, though, right? You want to see it, to your point. That's exactly where you need to, to prove that. And I, I always, I've been one who I really liked Justin Fields out of Ohio mm-hmm. State. I actually was intrigued on what type of fit he could have been in Indianapolis. I thought that that was, you know, something that was rather uh, appealing. So he's one of those that you do feel like you don't want to say it, it is it's pretty it's a definitive point in terms of whether this is the guy you're continue investing in and building around or whether you're going to have to go a, a different direction. The one area I hope does not have a a negative impact here locally is so often the characterization of a running quarterback and how they're they're risky because they can get injury prone or they just they have less mileage on them than a traditional pocket quarterback happens. And if it fails in Chicago, I worry about the national conversation of where things go because the Colts very much have a similar mold or at least a player capable of doing that in Anthony Richardson. And there have been strides 
you know, don't get that part twisted. Cam Newton has made ma- made massive strides during his career. Lamar Jackson, even though he's had the injury history and hasn't had the playoff success, has put up some eye-popping numbers at that position. You hope that that's able to come Justin Fields' way and he's able to make good, but more so here locally with Anthony Richardson and this just being the infancy of that journey, you want him to, in a perfect world, be the best of all of those names that we just listed off. Sure, and I, I think he wants that. Yeah, you know, he's he's highly motivated by that and by finally being able to, for Anthony Richardson, dispel the comparisons that there have been when people have tried to describe or um, you know compare what his skill set is like oh you know they would call him Cameron Jackson because he's a hybrid of Cam Newton and Lamar Jackson and that's one of the things he first said after he was selected is no more Cameron Jackson now it's just about being Mm -hmm. Anthony Richardson and I think that's what I'm most eager for Anthony is to start defining himself aside from what anyone else's game has been like. We were having a conversation a couple weeks ago on the Colts official podcast about the leap that Jalen Hurts took under the tutelage of Coach Steichen and you know can you see Anthony Richardson making something that is you know somewhat mirrors that type of success and I kind of shut it down and I said I'm so tired of making these comparisons. It just feels very weak and very lazy and that for Anthony it seems that people People so greatly struggle to describe what he is as an athlete and what he is as a quarterback that the way that they do so is just by, well, he's kind of like this, but with this rather because you just kind of he is somewhat raw and he's so different and he is such a phenomenal talent athletically that you can't really put him in any of these other boxes. So people have really reached and tried to grasp as to he's kind of like, you know, the legs of this guy, but with the arm of this guy and the mobility of this player with that. So what I think I'm most excited for Anthony to do is to suit up and play in a game and have some level of success so that people can finally have a a grasp on exactly who he is as an NFL quarterback and not just who he is as a combine standout and as you know a guy who has a phenomenal you know highlight tape the flashes have been bold but the downs have been downs and you know you've had some of this inconsistency because of only 13 career starts at the collegiate level and all of that so that's one of those things where I think that Colts fans will and you hope be patient with Anthony Richardson and think about this long term because I believe that results it's it's going to be challenging yeah. for as it is for any rookie head coach mm-hmm. and for any rookie quarterback but what I think will give people some peace of mind and some ability to have patience is he is going to show you huge flashes and great reasons for optimism and aspects that you see this guy is growing as a player he is growing as a passer he's 
scrolling as a quarterback, okay, now we're seeing what the potential is. You're able to maybe endure the games that he will and that this offense will inevitably struggle because you do have so many young pieces. I mean, look at even your wide receiver room. When you think about you know Ashton Doolin and Isaiah McKenzie yep. are the two most veteran wide receivers that you have currently in that group, led by Reggie Wayne, who is only a second-year coach in the NFL, despite obviously the incredible career he had as a player. Of course. It is a very, very young offense, aside from the offensive line. So I think you do have to have some patience early on, but I think that will pay dividends for you on the latter part of this season, and then to solidify that he is the player you need him to be moving forward for the future of that franchise. I think the reason more so with him than anybody else that these player comparisons happen so aggressively with Anthony Richardson and why you try to draw, because I'm not one for comparisons outside of, and even then it's a headache, the NFL draft, but the reason it's more so with him than anybody else, and you mentioned it there, is the 13 starts. There's not enough body of work yet that anybody has seen of him to let him blossom into being himself and shying away from those comparisons. You see it less and less the more reps and familiar player. As you brought it up earlier with Bryce Young, we'd be having an entirely different conversation (laughs) if not even the success that Bryce Young had at the college level, but the amount of reps and playing time that Anthony Richardson didn't get that Bryce Young had. If those roles are switched, you're probably not having these force-fed, this is what this guy is like because of the unknown about what he's going to be. You're exactly right, and that's one of the reasons that I really liked the fit for Shane Steichen with Anthony Richardson is because he is such a you know raw product that Shane Steichen has a proven track record of working with rookie quarterbacks, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts. Obviously, both those guys had much different collegiate careers than Anthony Richardson had. But I thought that because you are going with this very, you know, young, dynamic visionary within the offense, a guy who really wants to do some exciting things and some creative things offensively, that made Anthony Richardson a fantastic fit for what you heard as being such a convincing argument for Shane Steichen as to why he's the guy you are going to put your franchise in the hands of because of how he wants to construct his team, how he wants his team to play. And that made Anthony Richardson a a fantastic fit because rather than have a quarterback who perhaps, and not to say C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or you know Will Levis or any of the other prospects there were, Guys who have a lot of bad habits that they may have formulated in the course of their careers at the college level or they found success because of the system with which they were in, how do you separate this guy had great success at Ohio State or at Alabama because of who he was playing with versus this guy didn't have great success and he had a completely different roster of talent around him. I mean, if you take the wide receivers at Ohio State and Alabama versus the wide receivers that Anthony Richardson Mm -hmm. had at Florida, these are very different conversations. So to me, I like the gamble on not only the athlete, but on the person, too, because Anthony Richardson, to me, comes in with a little bit of a Shaq Leonard chip on the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Sure, go ahead and, and you know, 
have doubts about who I am and, you know, all of those things and say, you know, sure, he has an unreal, you know, unreal vertical and, you know, speed and all of these things. But what is he as a quarterback? Why do these people have doubts about what he can do in the passing game? I think he's highly motivated for in, in a very good way based on all of those things. And he has, despite the fact that he has many fewer starts when you look at the book of work, he is immensely mature and wise for have just turning 21 years old. And I think that's going to be a great benefit to him. I mean, with the questions he was asking had to do with being a great teammate in the NFL, being a great leader in the NFL when they were having team meetings. Mm-hmm. Those are the type of questions he was asking. That's what he's worried about, being a teammate, being a leader, knowing that the investment he's putting in the physical side of things and development, he's doing that independently. What he wants to do is be the greatest asset for his locker room as possible all good signs towards what you would hope is everything lining up for him to be ready when the opportunity arises for him to start and even with the lack of reps he has everything up there both from a mental and a preparation standpoint to tackle it head on that's Larry Overton I'm Jimmy Cook Eddie Garrison with us as well a little bit later in the show we got some bets to hand out of course but when we come back two things want to revisit a little bit deeper that conversation of bad habits that can form and why regardless of how much credit you want to give Shane Steichen the experience he has working with a wide variety of quarterbacks can be very beneficial to Anthony Richardson and also Lara brought up a piece from Dan Graziano on ESPN.com talks about most intriguing players within the National Football League heading into 2023 Jonathan Taylor is on that list a lot can impact the development of this offense based on Jonathan Taylor we'll look at that and more on Shane Steichen we return on the Fan Midday Show whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. In the DriveHuber.com studios, Jimmy Cook, Lara Overton, a garrison guiding us throughout the afternoon here on the Fan Midday Show. Happy Thursday to you on the short week after the 4th of July holiday. A lot of NFL news always in the cycle, but especially so now in the countdown to training camp, which is inside of three weeks now as we get closer and closer to activities resuming over at Grand Park. And one of the more recent pieces over on ESPN.com, this from Dan Graziano, senior NFL national reporter, highlights his most intriguing players heading into 2023. That culminates a, a lot of different things, including the storylines that are there for them, what's at stake for them in terms of maybe their career progression or contracts. Will they get paid or not paid? Which kind of brings us in to where Jonathan Taylor is at. Now, thankfully, from the Colts side of things, that's not something that impacts this season. Jonathan Taylor is still under contract heading into the 2023 campaign. A lot of different angles to go with this, both with the impending debate of will he get an extension? When will he get an extension? How will that all play out? But at its baseline, Lara, the benefit of Jonathan Taylor in this offense, even with the looming contract situation, outweighs anything else when you were just highlighting how young this offense is in so many different key areas of the offensive attack, but they're not that young in terms of experience 
in the running back room, thanks to one of the greats in the NFL right now in Jonathan Taylor. Absolutely. I mean, and not only the experience that he has so far in the NFL, but the experience that he had at Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. that heavy workload that he carried, that the Colts were so intrigued by because of what he was able to do at the collegiate level. And that, you know, proved to have an immediate impact when he was drafted and came in immediately much sooner than anyone expected him to be the starting running back because of Marlon Mack being here and then the unfortunate injury to Marlon that ended his season in 2020 and then Jonathan immediately was thrust into that role and he has emerged and obviously was the league rushing champ in 21 battled through injuries last year and had a you know by everyone else's perception a a down year but I also think that when you're observing and assessing Jonathan Taylor's value within this offense. He has an immense value to the Indianapolis Colts. And last year, his lack of production was not only due to the injury situation, but I also think you have to look to the carousel of quarterbacks that were in that offense that he was enduring, and then also the struggles that there were for the offensive line. So I think that the numbers that you see and that people have maybe said Jonathan Taylor doesn't have the as much, maybe his he's not able to command as much as he would have been with the stats from having the year prior. You also have to take into account that some of that was not to the fault of Jonathan yeah. Taylor to some degree, and I do think that that is something that the Colts will take into account and. Under Chris Ballard, the Colts have handed out these extensions to court or to players on their deals early rather mm-hmm. than later. We saw a big batch of them, I believe it was two years ago, when you had the extension for Shaq Leonard, yep. and then you also had Braden Smith and Naeem Hines. And the philosophy of Chris Ballard, much like that we heard Courtney Cronin talking about with Ryan Poles, and those two have you know overlapped in the course of their careers sure. to becoming NFL GMs when you look at their resumes. But he has said... Chris wants to build through the draft and you want to reward and pay your own. And so if you take into account the fact that Jonathan Taylor is will return to, in my belief, will return to the level of production that he had in 2021, he will get back to that point. And then also just the way in which Chris Ballard has tended to hand out these types of contracts and extend those who have been Colts draft picks and wanting to retain those type of players, I do think that it leans toward the fact that Jonathan Taylor and the Colts will hopefully, you know, get something done sooner rather than later. They have a lot more time. And I think, you know, people are rushing this conversation because we're at a period of time when there's not a whole lot of other NFL news to discuss. You also don't want it, though, as you well know, to and I don't think it would be with Jonathan Taylor the way he carries himself, but you don't want it to be a distraction that if if things go south for the team where they want to be, I don't mean like, I don't mean being a playoff team next year. I mean, if growth isn't there, if there's setbacks and there's clouds over the organization for just 2023, you don't want that to be an added element of it. But you're also right. It is July and it is the top story right now around this team. Yeah. And it's a it's a big picture NFL conversation like we had with Courtney in regards to how the running back Mm -hmm. position is valued in its entirety and how that position has, you know, in terms of diminished from a contract 
standpoint, aside from Christian McCaffrey in recent seasons, that you mm-hmm. haven't seen players at that position be able to command as much money. And Christian is, you know, a very different type of running back, of course, than what you have as the prototypical, you know, NFL back. But one of the things that we heard from Jonathan in that last opportunity, we had to talk with him in minicamp. He was very candid in talking about contracts and how that position has, um, you know, has been rewarded and has been paid in recent years. And he pointed out how this organization, the Colts organization, has valued players aside from just what they are on the field and also what you bring into other areas of the building. And I do think that that will be taken into account when you look at the value Jonathan Taylor has, not just from his position, but also that he has when you have a young rookie quarterback who is unproven because of, of course, having the collegiate resume uh, that has very few in regards to other rookie quarterbacks, many fewer starts, much less game experience. And I do think that you're going to want to give Anthony Richardson the opportunity to have a very strong run game to then build his own career around. And there are a, there are several backs, of course, behind Jonathan Taylor. When you look at Zach Moss, Deion Jackson, they drafted Evan Hull, mm-hmm. who's interesting in his threat as a pass-catching back as well. So you think about the philosophy of how they are building this offense and trying to structure this team. And I think if anywhere in the NFL, the Colts will value the running back position maybe differently than a team like the New York Giants does with Saquon Barkley and some of those other big conversation running backs that are out there because we mentioned Dan Graziano. Mm -hmm had this recent article in which he lists the most intriguing players for the 2023 season, among them guys like Aaron Rodgers and Stefan Diggs and a number of big names across the NFL. And he points out that there are a number of different running backs that he could have listed in this conversation. But this is the where this is really where he wanted to illustrate the, I don't want to say controversy, but rather the intrigue surrounding paying paying running backs at that position. He said, you know, Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard are all on franchise tags. Then you have Dalvin Cook, Ezekiel Elliott, Kareem Hunt, Leonard Fournette, all free agents. And he said that, you know, Taylor entering his fourth season is extension eligible for the first time. And based on his 2022 season, he thinks that, you know, he's worth maybe more than what some of the other, or rather sure. based on what he did in 2021 and based on the factor that he was, my, my phone's blowing up with the threads. I'm adding all the followers and it's distracting my reading here on my uh, on my ESPN app. But he, he did. I think a lot of, that's where you're seeing a lot of the, you know, to Graziano's point, intrigue surrounding this Colts team isn't just, you know, a first year head coach and Shane Steichen and what you're doing with Anthony Richardson and how soon he will get the nod right. to start at quarterback, but it's also how this whole situation with Jonathan Taylor is handled from both a contract standpoint, but then also how much of a, you know, fundamental piece he is within Shane's offense, because this is the first time we're seeing Jonathan Taylor outside of a Frank Reich offense. Well, aside from the latter part of, you know, with Jeff Saturday and and the offense in the latter part of 2022. For selfish reasons for the Colts, 
not Jonathan Taylor, but selfishly for the Colts, to your point about them having plenty of time, it benefits Anthony Richardson either way, assuming he gets meaningful playing time in his rookie season, because this isn't in a Saquon Barkley territory where the tag has been placed Mm -hmm. and there's a threat of a real holdout. Jonathan Taylor still has one year left on his contract, and regardless of what the Colts want to do from an extension standpoint, he knows, fair or not, there are question marks thrown at him for the type of season he had last year. Mm-hmm. You and I both agree, not completely fair, both because of the injuries he dealt with and also because the offensive line was in tatters and a shell of itself. So he's going to play this year. Right? That's not even a, a oh, topic yeah. of conversation right now that he wouldn't be out there. So you're going to get a key year of development either way with everybody raising their eyebrows of, well, what could it look like with packages of Jonathan Taylor and Anthony Richardson? That's going to be present this year either way, but it is a... Careful tightrope to walk because Dan points this out and you've mentioned it as well. He is only 24. So most people can stomach a three or four year deal because he's not at that point of the old adage was north of 30 for a running back. Stay away. Yeah. Now it's shrunken a little bit year over year, depending on the dollar amount. Three or four years, I think, probably happens. But it's all going to depend on the type of season he puts together this year, unless they do view him, like you mentioned, and I agree with you on that point, as a key development sidekick or 1A, 1B to what they want around Anthony Richardson. And those who are, I don't even want to say critical, but maybe who play devil's advocate in this conversation will say, yeah, he's only 24 years old, but look at that workload that he carried the college level what was it back to back 2000 yard season yeah. I mean that was it was wild I mean the the toll that that took on him and I think that's where people are raising questions is how much tread is left on the tires not because of where he is in terms of his NFL career but where does that start to take a toll on a player and this is one of the really interesting things that I learned last year about Jonathan Taylor is how much investment he puts and he's a He's, I mean, he's aware of the carries and all of that, of course, but he puts immense priority on what he calls prehab. So injury prevention and, you know, all of those things. And then also on doing things like Pilates and yoga to increase his flexibility, because as he has described it, what happens in injury situations, especially at his position, is when you resist contact or when your body has an opposing reaction to contact, when you're not able to bend or to move, Mm -hmm. that resistance is what can create the injury. So he is highly, highly aware of that, spent the entirety of this offseason, you know, uh, addressing the issues that cost him significant playing time in 2022. And now we'll see what dividends that is able to pay off for him. And you do expect, he said, he expects to be ready and healthy come late July when they do have that first practice on July 26th. We still got some bets to get to to close out the day, plus final thoughts with Larry Overton. Nice enough to take some time with us throughout the day here on the Fan Midday Show. Bets and more, we come back to close out a Thursday. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 
Welcome back inside the drivehubler.com studios for the final time with Lara Overton. I am Jimmy Cook. Well, we have an opportunity here. I want to remind you that we are just a about a month away from another opportunity to spend some time with your favorite hosts here on the fan. It's the fan on the back nine golf outing presented by Franciscan Health. That's August 18th at Back Nine Golf and Entertainment Center. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and JMV will all be out there for an afternoon of golf, food, and tournament style games. Action gets started at 10 a.m. Lunch being provided once play officially kicks off at 11 a.m. JMV is going to have a live show out there from 3 to 6, plus a silent auction as well to benefit this year's charity. Benefits for each ticket purchased go to the american heart association again that is august 18th it's a friday no excuses to start the weekend off the right way a little game of hooky totally fine have a little nice three-day weekend you know yeah it's a great way off yeah great way to be able to do it and have some fun back and forth there at back nine golf and entertainment i have not been to back nine but you know who loves himself some back nine like raves about it and he's not even a big golf guy who's that jj stankovitz Matt Taylor. You had a one in three voice, shot. voice of the Colts, <laughs> Matt Taylor. Big fan of Back Nine. He has raved about it to me many times. So I, I've yet to get over there, but that seems like it'd be a great like summer evening activity. Maybe I, you know, grab the husband and go on over there. I mean, I'm not a golfer sure. by any means, but you know, I can swing a club and have some delicious beverages and make a nine of it. I'm surprised that there hasn't been a, a Colts Radio Network team building trip over to the back nine. Little, there was the a Colts draft party over there they did sure, a dr- and right, I, I was right, yep. so i was back at the facility and a bunch of people were headed down there and i was like man i mean i i, I like to be back at the facility because that's kind of the hub of activity and everything but i was a little jealous of all of those who got the call to go down to back nine because i think edrin was down there and there was a number of people at a couple of former colts who were Alec making rounds. pierce was down there too ap was there i think so he was, was somewhere he? Yeah, man. See, it's so <laughs> much fun. All the fun. I know, I know. Some of us have to work, you know. You still have an opportunity for some fun, though. Again, August eighteenth. That's ten to four thirty p.m. at the Back Nine Golf and Entertainment Center. For tickets, go to one zero seven five thefancom Eddie, we have some bets to get to. The Jay Cook plays of the day. This is me. All right, I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's plays of the day. We're going to take the New York Yankees as is tradition. Plus money, you got to ride that wave. Plus 115 are the New York Yankees against the Baltimore Orioles. They look to win a series against the Orioles. Also going to take How'd the they Miami. Yesterday? They lost. It was very heartbreaking and frustrating. I don't have the time to vent to our audience about that. Also going to take the Miami Marlins. Take on the St. Louis Cardinals. Marlins at minus 125. Close things out with minus 130 juice for the Tampa Bay Rays against the Philadelphia Phillies. One and two yesterday. Eddie, is there anything on your docket today? I'm just going to say, if you're betting the Marlins, you're betting on a four-game sweep, so just keeping that in mind, are you? I am. Though um, the way they did close it out on a throwing error to first base last night was absolute insanity. Oh, I was, I'm enjoying the, the suckiness of the, of the St. Louis <laughs> Cardinals right now. I know you are. Uh, in terms of me, I haven't really had a chance to, to look, so I'm not going to play anything. <laughs> Do you engage at all in any form of uh, baseball, NBA, or anything like that. Non, Non-NFL non division, of course. Please. Actually, placing it of any? Sure, yeah. No. No? no, because it's, there, yeah, you know, there's, I understand. that's I understand. part of, sure. part of sure. your, uh, you know, employment with you sure. know, the league and all of that is you abstain from, sure. you know, most sports-related betting. The one thing I tried that I'll, my best to tightrope that yeah, as best yeah, I, I know. could, and I, I still walked in. It's all right. I apologize. Um, that was my fault. I will make an exception for Derby Day. 
You know, that's when I get in a sure. little horse racing action. I didn't do so well this year, but last year, uh, my family, my my husband and my brothers-in-law got involved in a bet, uh, and my dad, uh, and we hit a trifecta on, on Derby Day, and I don't know that we will ever exceed the, the elation that that was. My, but, my yeah. niece did the same thing, okay. and the yes, the payout for that was, was <laughs> a wild trip for all involved, exactly. so I have no doubt it was the same yeah. thing at the Overton House. Yeah, exactly. Thank so I so tried much. to prioritize. No, thank you guys for having me. This is all Always, always a blast, and I appreciate you guys letting me hang out with y'all and uh, have a little bit of fun before we get into the thick of training camp. I, you guys will probably be up there, I'm sure, holding it down, doing some live shows, so hopefully we'll have an opportunity to get back on with you guys when we get to Grand Park. No and doubt. then we'll get to the season. It'll be here before we know it. That's Lara Overton. Special thanks as well to Michael Grady, Evan Sattery, David Woods, and Courtney Cronin. Right with JMV is next. Keep it right here.